0: is over but we have to go back down the hatchets the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking about season two episode three
1: orientation here with mike bloom mike tell me what i'm supposed to do well you are the gerald to my karen Degroot, so i should turn that question back on to you oh my god uh that are we are we de the, are we the DeGroot's
0: of uh, Lost podcast? Yeah, actually, you no, know what? You're you're the not.
1: Gerald DeGroot. I'm uh, the cousin, oft not talked about, Gavin Groot is yeah. my personality. Gavin, Gavin DeGroot.
0: <laughs> I am. Uh, I am DeGroot. Uh, is all that I'm going to say for the rest of the podcast.
1: Well, and, listen, uh, uh, depending on the parapsychology test they probably underwent themselves, I would not be surprised if by the end of those tests, they all they could say was their own name.
0: Oh, my God. Uh, Gerald DeGroote, uh, who uh, looks uh, similar to, as we said on the Mr. Robot podcast, that uh, Mobley of Mr. Robot was uh, the son of myself and the great Antonio Mazzaro. Uh, I feel like Gerald DeGroote may be the time-traveling son of myself and the great Antonio Mazzaro.
1: Yeah, I love this idea that this person just recurs through time. Also, looks a little bit like Brett Gelman as well. Mm-hmm. Comedian oh, I can and see In Star that. of Stranger Things, Murray Bauman. And again, well, considering Brzez- his own involvement... Brzezinski
0: it- really reminds me of Brett Gelman uh, later on in the, in the series.
1: Yes, exactly. He's more, uh, he has more of the, I guess, the, less of the hairline and more of the resemblance, which Helen would be into. So maybe there'd be a, a future shipping, but there'd be more time travel in the
0: future. 100%. All right, Mike. I mean, we're burying the lead here, right? Like, this is the orientation video. This is, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff we'll talk about. There's plenty to go on here. This is episode three of season two. And Lucia's showing up. That's fun. Uh, Mr. Echo talks. It's like one of the first things he's said in a very long time, both in the real time and his first lines of the show. Uh, We get to push the numbers. That's great. And Jack and John have a great confrontation. And that's fun. But it's the Swan Station video. I mean, this is the Swan Station video episode. And that's so much fun. I can't believe we're up to the Swan Station video.
1: Yeah, I would argue this might be one of the biggest pieces of world building that Lost has seen oh. so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it. I think it. It is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess like you could argue maybe like the first part of the pilot is sort of like building that immediate world, but it doesn't necessarily settle into what we're going to be with Lost. This is a very definitive right. flag that the show is playing to be like this is what Lost is now.
0: Yeah, well, it was a a huge puzzle piece that's just dropping into place. Um, And I don't think that we'd ever really had anything quite like this up to this point. Um, Like, yeah, you get to see what the monster looks like to some degree in the season one finale. Yeah, we get to see more of the others. Um, But nothing kind of just like airdropped out of nowhere with such authority as what was inside the hatch. Like, yeah, you had to wait months and months and months to find out. And then you had to wait a couple more weeks to figure out what the hell it all meant. Um, But you you get the answer here in this episode. You find out what the Dharma Initiative is. That opens a huge door into so many different storylines and questions and mysteries. Um, But the the existence of the Dharma Initiative uh, now immediately clarifies that this hatch was placed here by people who know that the island exists, uh, Mm -hmm. that they're doing at least uh, zoo- zoology experiments, which strongly, uh, you know, makes you feel like, okay, so that explains the polar bears. Now we know why polar bears are on the island. And I think that I've said this on the podcast before. If not, I'll say it now. I vividly remember the experience of watching this episode um, and having, you know, the conversations with my friends who I was watching Lost with in college, where we were all like, all right, sweet. Uh, so now we've figured out Lost. Uh, Everything is because (laughs) of the Dharma Initiative. Um, This guy, Alvar Hanzo, is probably like the secret big bad of the show. Mm
1: -hmm. And everything is just locking into place. Oh, Josh, we're not even one foot (laughs) deep into the tiger trap that is lost after this video. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, we,
0: we felt really proud of ourselves. We're like, okay, great. We've got this big puzzle piece. Uh, I don't know what the point of the rest of the show is, but now we know what the answer is. And of course, it was just uh, you know, tip of the iceberg type of stuff, but um, a a sizable chunk of iceberg, I would say. Yeah. uh, But but but
1: even that iceberg still brings up this idea of like maybe you're not an iceberg. You know, we'll we'll talk about obviously the Jack Locke conflict, which even though episode one is titled "Man of Science, Man of Faith," I feel like maybe this should be the subtitle of episode three more so because this is the first really really big Jack and Locke conflict between just their respective morals and worldviews. And I do feel like Jack is going to put out an argument, and we'll get into this in one of the sounds, that is something that's going to recur throughout the season, where even though he does resignedly become Locke's partner in pushing the button for the foreseeable future, as more and more people involved, that hanging idea of maybe this button pushing is for nothing, maybe it's one big experiment, is going to keep coming back throughout the season, much like the push of a button.
0: Yeah, I... You know, uh, again, so so here we are at the end of Orientation. I mean, we're at the start of talking about it, I was going to say, what? <laughs> but but you have, yeah, we, we traveled forward in time to the end of the podcast. But you and I have been talking over the last couple of weeks of how the first three episodes of Season 2 really do feel like they are of a piece, that it feels like a three-part season premiere to some degree. Uh, and there have been arguments in favor of uh, should these episodes have been combined uh, or are they better as they stand? I think the argument for Man of Science, Man of Faith... We really felt like you would lose that sort of spooky ending um, at the end of the the first hour if you combined these three episodes. But I think you raise a really good point um, that "Man of Science, Man of Faith" really does feel like it encompasses the the themes of this episode because, as much as it's you know technically a Locke episode, it's almost just as much a Jack episode. And yeah, Locke gets the flashback, but actually like kind of barely. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. we introduce Helen into the Mythos and, and that's not a nothing deal. And we get to see Anthony Cooper again and he's the worst once again uh, for for you know a, a hot minute. Um, but we also barely spend time in the flashback storyline and the flashback storyline is over with so much episodes still to go, it feels like. Um, so I, I do feel like there is this there's this feeling of these first three episodes are are linked but not like quite properly linked. Um, and I don't think that that's a, an enormous knock against these first three episodes. It's just something that I've observed a little bit harder than I ever have, uh, at least in terms of um, my my role as a lost rewatcher, because here we are watching it in the week to week. And you have that time to to think about the show in between. Um, but so many great things happen in this episode. This is a great episode of the show.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I will definitively say bounce back from a drift. I know,
0: I know. So well, that, we that, that's we may we may need to bounce back from a drift. Yeah. We got some feedback well, on we'll a get, drift. We'll so. get to that. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there for sure. Of course, feedback. We want that from you guys out there. You all, everybody, send that our way down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at postshowrecaps is our Twitter feed. Uh, I am at Round Howard on Twitter, and Mike is at a Mike Bloom uh, on at a Mike Bloom type rather uh, on Twitter as. well. Well, uh with with all of that said, Mike, let's go forth into the jungle orientation directed by Jack Bender, uh co written by Javier Grio, Mark's Watch, and Craig Wright, originally aired october fifth, two thousand five, and it centers on John Locke. Uh but barely, I feel like. You know, it's 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 like a split focus, I think.
1: Yeah, I would say that this is, you know, definitely the most minimal Locke flashback. Though considering the previous two instances, this one had a lot of to live up to uh, in both the hair department and the drama department. It did. Uh, I mean, I think that um,
0: cabin fever in terms of the flashbacks is going to have a lot of John Locke in the flashbacks, but minimal Terry Uh, Mm, O'Quinn. But, but I, but I, I coming into this episode, I I just remembered the flashbacks being a little bit more vivid than they were. And it's actually, I think just four flashback scenes. Yeah. uh, total, uh, which feels low, um, especially for a Locke flashback. So I think as far as like Locke's flashbacks go, uh, this would probably be in the lower end for me it 's not as bad as uh as the the pot farmer stuff uh even even if I think that that sets some things up in in some ways uh i I think that that 's still the low uh, but this is on the like in the lower half. I would, I would guess the, how, not the episode overall, right. but the the lock flashback portion.
1: How does it compare to you? I I don't know how much you conflate this with lockdown, considering that Helen's involved in both. But which part of Helen's story do you think is the stronger one in terms I think, of flashbacks?
0: I think lockdown uh, would be my would be my instinct because that's the that's the you know lockdown breakup. Uh, yeah, story. yeah, I, I
1: would agree. I think this is I think this is important for Locke's character, and we'll certainly get into it. I do not think these are valueless flashbacks, but I think that was the setup. And Lockdown is really the payoff of it.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, As always, we've got a Down the Hatch series Bible entry for you uh, for your listening pleasure. Uh, This one is actually written up by the great Stefan Johnson. Uh, And uh, of course, these series Bible entries now are not exactly legit. So, so some of these facts that we are about to list out may not be factual at all. And this is Stefan Johnson's contribution to the Down the Hatch series Bible uh, with an entry on Helen Norwood. Uh, After 11 years as a stay at home mom, Helen left her family. She was tired of being married with children. Wow, wow, that should be in caps, Stefan. Yeah, after a Uh, (laughs) a sizable
1: haircut.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if we can just uh, edit on the fly, it should definitely be married with children. God, I hope there's a peg joke in here. Uh, Unsure what to do with herself, she found a flyer looking for a new captain aboard the Planet Express Ship. Oh, uh, that's a Futurama. That should also be probably in caps. Uh, she and her crew traveled through space going on 140 cartoony adventures. All right, now we're really off the rails. Um, now grew- we're off the
1: rails? You wait until they <laughs> said like, all right, got into to a spaceship. Let me roll with this one. Let's see where this uh, is going.
0: She grew tired of space and returned to a more realistic Earth. There she found a new role as a mother to a bunch of sons of anarchy. Goodbye, Grandma. That one's just uh, me. Uh, however, one of these sons grew tired of her manipulation of ways and tried to kill her. Ooh, spoiler alert, kind of. Uh, also factually inaccurate. She survived, again, factually inaccurate, and sought therapy. There she met John Locke. Those are the capitalized words to fun. Uh, Will she tell him of her crazy past or has she come full circle? Is she once again ready to settle down and have a family uh so i feel like uh a distillation of the career of the great katie seagal here uh in the helen norwood down the hatch series bible entry and maybe we should stop down for a moment here mike just to appreciate the fact that katie seagal is unlost. lost
1: uh, this is so awesome I, I i love katie seagal as someone who you know was raised in the 90s and 2000s when that you weren't uh you weren't a sons of anarchy guy though no I don't. I've yeah. never even looked at a motorcycle, less so watch the show with them. <laughs> You've made it this far without ever seeing a motorcycle before? Yeah, I just assume those are uh, big bikes, right? Yeah,
0: trikes. Uh, I do believe that that is a uh, you could call one a trike. It's a very specific kind of
1: motorcycle. Mm, exactly. So yeah, so I haven't really ventured into that side of things. I think Futurama was obviously my gateway point. Uh, as much Fox as I was allowed to watch of the cartoon variety in the '90s, I did not stray into the Married with Children usually so katie seagal warmed her way into my heart from an animated variety just by voice alone i knew this was a fantastic person and evidently so did john locke and helen's just such a great character she's one of these characters where you're like She's, this character is such a good person. Why is this losty not seeing what's in front of them? And why are they so concentrated on something that's going to inevitably drag them down and put them on a plane heading towards an island?
0: 100% Um, I, I really love Katie Seagal just as a performer. Uh, I am a big Sons of Anarchy guy and she was fantastic as Gemma on that show. Um, and it's it's very fun to just have her as part of the lost mythology. She'll pop up here and there, not a ton, uh, but when she's on the show, it's always a fun time. Yeah,
1: I think she'll be she'll be exist. Two times in this timeline, in the aforementioned lockdown, in this episode, she'll appear twice in the flash sideways, yep. and then her gravestone appears in season five. <laughs> in season, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's season five, it's life and death of yeah, because uh, Abaddon takes some takes right. lock on the really unfortunate tour of here's everything that you lost in yeah, on that island, it's the
0: ghost of Christmas past, uh, yeah. So it's 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 great to have her in the in the lexicon now. Um, but we got to talk about so much. So let's let's just go forth into the jungle. Of course, we've got uh, the eight sounds armed up and ready to go. It'll be a little bit before we hear sound number one. Uh, but the first thing that you hear in orientation is a continuation from Adrift. Uh, it's that great ending of Jin identifying the others, others. Uh, and Jin is still screaming that word, others, others. But this time we get a lot more clarity on uh, at least uh, the actor who is coming forward to represent <laughs> these so-called others. Here comes Adewale Akanoia Akabaje, aka Mr. Echo, with his real debut on the show. Uh, just beating the ever-living crap oh. out of uh, out of out of our boys here
1: i love echo and his stick i i, I love how much he just bodies these bodies. people like straight up like just one good wallop with his shillelagh and they are knocked out no granted they've been through a lot so maybe they're a bit weakened physically but damn swing away echo
0: he really uh he he shows his brute strength from from the jump. Yeah. Um I think if you were to you know we we've talked about it before and I think it can be an ongoing conversation of like who's the best fighter on Lost, who's like the who's, yeah, who who are
1: you picking for Lost Mortal Kombat?
0: I mean, I think that you got to have Echo pretty high on the draft board. I mean, it it takes a, an explosion and a polar bear and a monster to finally seal the deal for for Mr. Echo. Otherwise, he is a he is a pretty strong lad.
1: Yeah, I would say so. And again, as as a former uh, quote-unquote man of the cloth, it's a bit surprising considering you have this guy hulking towards you with a physique that rivals Sawyer's and a swing to boot, but that's just going to make his character so much fun. We get a smidge of him here, you know, and maybe in retrospect, had they not gone down the Andalusia route, it would have been interesting for him to show a bit of his humanity as uh, he does during the other 48 days, as we'll talk about in a few weeks. But I think the role he fills right now as imposing you know silent nameless bodyguard i think he does it extremely well yeah he's
0: going from uh from inmate on oz to to jail guard here in this episode as mr echo is going to throw michael and Jin and sawyer into a pit and he's gonna he's gonna lock them up he's gonna look at them very menacingly as michael keeps shouting where's my boy Uh, but he doesn't have an answer for him.
1: Michael should use his son's name, right? They could have had many boys. In fact, didn't the others? They took a boy like a few days ago.
0: Yeah. But I mean, maybe he figures like, uh, cut the BS. You know who I am. Uh, certainly, you know who I am. We were in Oz together. Yeah, I was, I was Augustus Hill. Yeah, you, do you were out of
1: BC. Is there a secret scene of Echo and Michael doing the whole Desmond and Jack? Do I know you from somewhere? Type of thing. I wish. I wish. I think that that'd be fun. Um, meanwhile, we cut back to the hatch. We start
0: to see the same scene unfold again. <laughs> you know, we get another replay of the all oh, roads lead here. Isn't that what you said? Uh so I guess you just need like a little smidge of the setup in order to slam into the first flashback yeah. of the episode. But it's still just like it's a lot. We got it at this point.
1: Yeah, the way. Think, I'm pretty sure in this version, we don't get the you and we don't get Desmond saying, I'll blow his head off, brother. Right. So I know at right. the time, I feel like that may have brought up some theories at the time of like, wait a minute, the gi- the dialogue changed this time. What does this mean? I think it was just a little discrepancy between episodes, not any sort right. of hint towards like an alternate universe where a slightly different dialogue means something different happened.
0: You're telling me that the Lost fandom uh, veers on the side of lunacy from time to time. That's a shock to me. Uh, certainly, certainly doesn't ring true. Uh, we flash back to to John Locke, and you know he's a younger man because he's got hair. He's not bald yet.
1: It's it's slowly receding, though. He'll say till later uh, with Helen that you know uh, it's been a I'm few years. Bald. It's been a few years since the Deus Ex Machina incident, but I feel right. like. Locke's sense of self is waning much like his hair over the course of, you know, these flashbacks.
0: you know, as I've said, I stand the John Locke flashback hair. I'm a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm big time into that flashback hair. So if you, if you if you're looking for Wiggler on Wigwatch to knock the Locke hair in the flashbacks, it's not happening.
1: Love so it. let's talk about this meeting a bit because Locke is in anger management. Which is so interesting. First, I do not sanction any anger management that does not have Jack Nicholson as his head. <laughs> yeah. N- no goose fraba going on here. Uh, I never saw anger management. D- uh, you don't need to. Uh, I didn't miss it. Essentially, miss it's Jack Nicholson <laughs> Pushing Adam Sandler's buttons for 90 minutes. And then I think they all sing K sera, sera at Yankee Stadium at the end. I, just, I thought that it record. was the
0: one with uh, with Al Pacino and Adam Sandler. That's Jack and Jill. That's right?
1: Jack and Jill where Al Pacino plays himself and talks about the, the Al Pacino Dunkachino or whatever it is. And then falls in love with Adam Sandler in a dress. That's, uh, that's another uh, movie much enjoyed on an island as opposed to the Dharma orientation that's film. That's right. But talk talk to me about this, Josh, because I feel like something that we haven't really discussed up to this point, and something that I feel like actually goes pretty undiscussed in the larger scope of John Locke's character, is his anger. Right. And I think we see it a bit in this episode, but I think it's largely forgotten just due to, you know, all the emotions that he brings about. I know his flashbacks invoke a lot of pity and sadness, But John Locke's kind of an angry person.
0: No, of course. And I mean, when we talk about how uh, you and I love John Locke and many people who still love that character love that character because he's flawed like the game. Uh, You know, a lot of those failures stem from the fact that he is so angry and has a hard time figuring out exactly where to put it. Um, And it comes out in these, like, primal bursts, like uh, very famously the end of Walkabout um, in the flashback there. Um, But I think also here in in the group, when this woman is talking about how her mom, like, stole $30 from her, it's it's not a lot to some, but it's a lot to me, and I want it back. And uh, I guess her name is Francine, who feels a little too much, if you ask me, uh, says Locke. And he rages. He rages. He gives, like, the full recap. If you're just joining Lost in Season 2, he gives the full recap of what happened to him with his father. And he's like, you want your $30 back? I want my kidney back. And he's just there's fire. He's just bellowing. He's raging as he's as he's saying these words. Yeah, it's it's understandable why he's as furious as he is. Um, you know, he was uh by you know, by his accounts, he was he was brought into the world, he never knew who his dad was. He was bounced around from foster home to foster home. We get to see later on in the series some of John's childhood. Doesn't look like it's especially pleasant. Mm. Um I think that there there are a lot of issues with him and self-acceptance that are on the table. And it really... It really un- it 's very relatable to me why a man like him would be as furious as he is uh, at the world and why he would he would cling so so firmly onto the belief that he is special if if the light is shining in a certain way you know like if if it seems like all oh, of the cards are falling just so uh and you know the the light is is shining directly on a very specific path, and then all of a sudden. He gets into the hatch, and this is not what he thought. And we're talking about how, what the, you know, we mentioned this a couple episodes that, like, if the hatch is like representing hell, what is your nightmare when you get down there? For John Locke, like, your great ultimate destiny is, in fact, To be a button pushing, you know, uh, office drone, you know, that sounds like a nightmare for a guy like him. So his rage in this episode, very understandable to me, and I I absolutely think a central part of the Locke character is uh, how how frustrated he gets and how angry he gets.
1: It's so interesting because again, this is really bringing down that visage of this cool, steely, mysterious guy that we saw in the first four episodes of Lost. You know, the guy that really was presenting himself to others of like. I'm the expert on this, you can trust me, when really there are so many cracks in that veneer. And here's another one. I also saw on the background on a chalkboard are the rules of transforming anger. And Josh, as a requisite John Locke expert, I wonder if I can go over these rules with you. Unfortunately, for Katie sake, there are not eight simple rules, there are only six. Uh, But I'll read a rule out, and you let me know if John Locke has stuck to that rule or not, if he's able to to stick to uh, his anger management classes. Call a truce with anger.
0: No, he's at war. He's in in deep, deep, deep war with with his rage. Uh, Form an anger-love connection. An anger-love connection? No, well, I mean, I guess there's a connection between anger and love because he's angry at his dad, but obviously he he loves him to some extent and still wants to be accepted by his father. Otherwise, he wouldn't keep showing up to his dad's
1: gate every day. Mm. Uh, Here's a fun one. Rewire your hot button
0: uh well Said really takes care of that
1: <laughs> that's true that's true
0: that's a, and i will say with the anger love connection he meets helen at, at anger management so
1: there you go that's so interesting rewire your hot button and it turns out that yes locke has a hot button the entire time yeah. oh here's a good one uh speaking towards a previous sponsor of down the hatch tell your story Tell your story. Well, he does that very succinctly, I might add. You know, he really sums up the entirety of Deus Ex Machina's flashback portion
0: in like 30 seconds.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm assuming that's why he felt like he sort of met that requirement and then sat down being like, well, I got one of the six rules done right now. Here's here's one. Get good at grieving. Triple G.
0: No, he's not there yet. He's not there yet. And I don't know that Locke ever really gets good at grieving. And finally, stay in
1: tune with yourself.
0: Um, he's he's pretty in tune with himself, or at least he'd like to think so, right? Yeah. I, he's like, I'm I'm the expert here, uh, Troy Zan. I know more about walkabouts than you. Uh, and he's, you know, he's not wrong in some senses. Once we see him on the island, you know, all of his survival instincts, many of them at least,
1: spot on. Right. I think it's less so for Locke about staying in tune with yourself and more so tuning yourself to the people around you.
0: Oh, he's bad at that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say that's, he's he's that's a, a radio idea. operating on his own frequency at this moment, not picking up any AM or FM that's coming to him.
0: Not so great at that. So he he rages at the at the therapy session, and then he goes outside to smoke some ciggies. Wow, uh, John Locke smoker. Didn't realize. Uh, and Helen's gonna gonna meet him here. And why don't we listen in for our first sound of the episode?
2: Probably a good idea. You know, if you get kidney cancer, you've only got one. That's funny. I'm sorry if I ruined your meeting. Oh, hell. You just said everything I've always wanted to say in there. Most of the time, I want to stand up and scream. Get over it, freaks.
3: Well, why don't you?
2: I have to keep a cork in. Once I get all hot and bothered, there's no stopping me. Guess you won't be coming back next week, huh? No, not likely. Mm, It's too bad. I like bald guys. I'm not bald. I can wait. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm Helen, by the way. Hi, Helen. I'm John.
0: (laughs) I like bald guys. I can wait. Uh, I just, I love their, like, little flirty banter.
1: Yeah. Very C- good. Katie is so good at that tete-a-tete, and it's a, a, definitely a less malicious side than uh, her and Al Bundy in Married with Children, but Casey Segal is so good at that. I'm interested to know from you, Josh, because we don't know that much about Helen besides the voluminous history given by Stefan Johnson, but why do you think she was at that anger management meeting?
0: I don't know. Uh, you know, she's not really going to talk about it, um, but something bad happened to her. And she like, she seems like she's in a relatively healthy place with it personally. Even if she and Locke are like kind of like grief shaming everybody else, which I don't love. Uh, you know, I think it's kind of shitty. Yeah, and I think
1: uh, get over uh, it, at freaks doesn't play well today to those that are like us who are seeking you know mental health. You our know what, whatever.
0: If they're saying it privately to each other, and you know they're they're at least not being jerks about it publicly. I don't I don't really care. Even though Locke has just had uh, uh, an explosion on these people, um, but you know it's his process too. Um, I I don't know. I, I I have no idea what what Helen has been through, other than than what we had heard. I I just think that Helen existing on the show in this moment is is really great to me because we are getting to see something from John Locke in the past that we haven't even seen in the present, let alone the past. Which is you know someone really taking a shine to him in this way, uh, really you know showing him a lot of love, not just like kind of like. Worship or admiration—the way that he gets on the island from some people. This is somebody who's like showing like genuine, like kind of interest, flirty interest, flirty banter. As we said, Mm. Uh, early hashtag for the for the episode. And so you're excited about that, but then you're also like struck with a little bit of a sense of dread from the moment that she introduces herself as Helen, um, because you know the context of the relationship Locke had with someone named Helen all the way back in Walkabout. So you're thinking like is this the same person and if so how are things going to go so poorly for frankly both of them and then like you dig a little bit deeper like you're unearthing the hatch and you're like oh god so he's probably like either calling somebody named Helen specifically because this is not going to go well with this woman named Helen uh, and so he like specifically sought out someone named Helen or maybe even darker He's calling somebody who's on this phone service and asking her to, like, go by the name of Helen. Uh, and, like, either way, like, once you, like, really start digging into it, even on the first watch, I, I think, especially on the first watch, it just, it reads a little painfully.
1: Well, also considering the fact that the the only person we've ever seen show interest in Locke in flashbacks is Anthony Cooper. Yeah. And he's the reason why Locke is sitting there right now, one kidney fewer. And also when you watch this, I mean, it's... We just talked about Sarah two episodes ago. It's, it's a darker version of the thoughts you get when you see Sarah of, okay, she's in these flashbacks now, but we know that Locke is not in a relationship with Helen by the time he gets on 815. Clearly something went wrong. Clearly this story does not have a happy ending. Granted, I think it's a little less dragged out than the poor story of Jack and Sarah, but it's still a monumental moment in this character.
0: For sure. Um, all right, so back at the hatch, uh, Jack is asking for Kate and Desmond's gonna shoot the vent, and we're just kind of going through that again. But thankfully, mercifully, we start to move the story forward as we as we stick with Kate. Uh and listen, I, I think it's pretty queer by now. I'm not a I'm not an unbiased party here. Big Kate Austin fan in the house. Uh and you know, some people are like, Oh, you lavish Kate with too much praise. Kate saves the day here a couple of times over, to be honest. Uh Kate is in the vent. She, all, A, manages to not get randomly shot in the face. That's mm-hmm, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but B, she's able to, like, find an exit in the vents. She's able to get down from the vents pretty calmly and quietly, all things considered. So she avoids detection. She's able to find a shotgun and load it without detection. And then she's going to be able to sneak up behind Desmond, knock him out, and defuse the thing. And yeah, sure, Desmond's going to shoot the gun, and he's going to you know tweak the computer and everything. And... Yeah, but, but that's not her fault. That's Desmond not great. De- that's Desmond... not her fault. Yeah, Desmond, Desmond had his finger on the trigger.
1: You, yeah, Desmond asked, what did you do? And like, dude, she's You the, did it. You she's did also this. holding a shotgun, but the smoke is coming from your barrel. Uh, I should also mention, this episode in particular, maybe more so than the other two, but I found so many interesting things done with light. In this episode, and maybe it's because we're now getting more settled into the hatch where there is no light source outside of this, like, fabricated sun. And so one of the things that I really liked was uh, this one shot where Desmond looks over at the computer moaning to himself, where it's this solitary light above the computer and there's smoke rising from it. Not only does it invoke sort of these more natural images of the monster i I just think it's really well done and maybe to that point it incurs this idea of like yeah they may be away from the monster right now they're out of the jungle and they're into the hatch but that does not mean that dangers still do not lurk you know have not they have not evaded the what's bad about this island forever
0: and so desmond really punctuates for everybody in the room you know what has already been sort of trickled down in a drift uh where he says if you don't let me up to fix this thing we're gonna die look at the wall there's a timer counting down Obviously, some very important stuff is going on. Uh, and Locke is telling Jack, like, you got to let him up. Uh, and Jack has his gun on Desmond uh, at this point, And he says, do, uh, you know, what's going to happen when you if the if the counter goes down? And this is where Desmond recognizes Jack uh, and Locke recognizes that Desmond recognizes Jack. Desmond doesn't know exactly who Jack is, but he does say, do I know you? Uh, and I think that that's that's more impressive in a way than Jack recognizing Desmond, because Desmond looks almost exactly the same. Uh, as when Jack and Desmond
1: met. Jack has a brand new haircut. <laughs> yeah. You know? Where's your purple bandana, brother?
0: Yeah. Where's your wig? Uh, so, so,
1: what did you think eventually? Because I think we're going to do a lot of questioning of Jack's motives this episode in particular, because he really goes through a roller coaster. What do you think ultimately makes Jack decide to let Desmond up? Because First, he has him pinned to the ground, understandably so. Locke says, hey, he's unarmed, and Jack just tells him he had a gun pointed at your head. Uh Clearly, he has the capability to shoot something, let alone someone. But eventually, to your point, he does end up letting Desmond up into the computer. Do you think that was to buy into Locke's words? Do you think it was because Desmond acknowledged their connection? I think that you can't really buy the full
0: arc of Jack if you don't accept that on some level he understands that there is something bigger going on here um and i think what's hard for jack is accepting that all of the painful things that have happened in his life and really you know him that amounts to the divorce failed, uh, and being, uh, you know, having a father who was really, really hard on him. As far as we can gather, those are really the big sources of, of, of pain in Jack's life. Otherwise, you know, he's lived a pretty good life. He's a doctor, he's highly accomplished, he's wealthy. Like things seem to be pretty good for Jack, but I think it shows how painful, um, personal trauma can be. Uh, his marriage doesn't work out, and his, he just never feels like his dad loved him, and he's still operating with no closure on what happened to to his dad because not only did he die without him getting to really like say everything he needs to say um but also his body's missing uh and he sometimes sees him in the jungle and it's mm. very very weird so i think so i think jack in in a lot of ways is you know i don't think it's a coincidence certainly let's uh yeah you know, i think we can we can call it fate here um that Locke and jack are very similar in this episode uh where they're both just like you know, brimming with fury, because I think that they're both having to come face-to-face uh, with some measure of realizing that, yeah, pushing a button down here is something that I'm fated to do. I think Locke is ready at least to vocalize that, because right. that furthers the John Locke narrative. Uh, for Jack, he's not ready to vocalize it with words, but he is you know down to at least entertain it, ultimately. I think another piece of it, too, is that Kate has a gun on Desmond, and uh, to his credit in this moment. I think Jack and, and Kate are on the same same uh, page. And he, I think he feels like if Kate feels comfortable enough with Desmond running around right now with the gun on him, uh, then I got to put some trust in Kate here.
1: Right, exactly. Even though Kate did go off uh, to you know go down the hatch with Locke, the fact that she was able to mobilize herself and knock out Desmond, or at least knock him on the head, makes her feel at least a bit trustworthy. It's an interesting point you bring up that Locke and Jack are really proving themselves two sides of the same coin here and you know i think we'll really compare the moment in the intro when Locke is at his wits end yelling what am i supposed to do with jack yelling at desmond and probably the angriest we've ever seen matthew fox on this show screaming at desmond you don't even know what you're running from and having these two reach two of the biggest breaking points we've seen from their characters thus far within the episode i don't think is pure convenience i agree um
0: all right, so let's go back. Let's do another flashback. Uh, Locke and Helen, they've been canoodling It's later in the in the evening. Oh, now Jack's interested if you mention noodles. Uh, he loves noodles. At first, I thought that maybe this was like later that same night that they met. I, I thought too, like, damn, Locke. Like, wow, just like uh, you guys just like really hit it off. That's uh, amazing. Good for both of you. Um, but then I, because I, I thought that he was wearing the same shirt. Uh, mm. I thought that he was wearing the same plaid shirt that he is wearing. In uh, the first flashback scene. Uh, but I believe he's wearing a, a blue and yellow shirt here. And that was a red and brown shirt. Uh, that this he, is not unless one, you of those, saw one of those internet gold. tests. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, he was saying Laurel, not Yanni. Uh, but he's leaving and she's like, hey, where are you going? What the hell? And he's like, this isn't personal. Don't worry. Really like you. I'll Call you later. Uh, and so he's going out because he's a man on a mission. And his mission is sipping coffee in his car, sitting outside his daddy's house. All the worst daddies coming back in this episode. And let's bring him in, Mike, with sound number two. Morning.
2: Morning. John, I know you like to drive through my neighborhood. And I know that every now and then you like to park outside my house. Now, I thought it might all stop when I moved, but... Uh, here you are. I'll admit, at first I thought it was funny. Now it's just annoying. So, how about you tell me what the hell it is you want? Why? Excuse me. Why? There is no why. You think you're the first person that ever got conned? You needed a father figure and I needed a kidney. And that's what happened. Get over it. And John, don't come back. You're not wanted.
0: Woof. That's so sad. Oh, and then like uh, Locke like tries to play it cool after yep. Cooper leaves the car. And he like takes another sip of his coffee, but his face just like crumbles. And he starts to cry. Uh, I mean, Terry Quinn, uh, his cry acting is pretty good as well. Yeah, I mean, it's so, defi-
1: it's evident shades of the end of Deus Ex Machina with like he's in the same car and everything. So Cooper says he moved, obviously to different residence. Seems like there's a, a similar security guard there, but not the exact same one. Do we think? Cooper moved far and Locke followed him or do you think Cooper for some reason just moved to like another house in another town and Locke didn't need to really change any part of his That's life That's a good
0: question did he just like see picking up sticks and and following Cooper wherever he's going or did <laughs> I mean it looked like his old neighborhood block it would be funny if Anthony Cooper's like all right I got to move Locke keeps showing up this is getting awkward but I really love my
1: neighborhood. I think I'll just go around the block. But damn, the school systems here are just, just great. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. and I mean, if he does end up moving far, I wonder if Locke could sort of reverse engineer that PI that connected him with Cooper in the first place. Like, look, you owe me one. Tell me where he is right now. And it could send him on some sort of wild goose chase. He's eventually going to end up in Arizona. We just need to figure out exactly how that happens. But yeah, I agree. It's very similar looking. Uh, maybe Cooper just has a particular style of house He's really interested in but yeah this is uh this is brutal honesty at its yeah. worst here get over it don't come back you're not wanted
0: cooper's awful anthony cooper is an awful human being and I'm, I'm glad he's back here because i think uh he can continue tanking in the in the lvp section later on yeah, uh, a very easy target for our LVP points.
1: Also, all the power to Locke for not, like, immediately punching him in the face as soon as he sat in the car, you know? He- but
0: he's afraid of him! He's afraid of him! And I mean, that's gonna be a huge crux of, of Locke later on, just like a season from now, right? Where, uh, all you gotta do in order to be indoctrinated to the others is kill this man who is an objectively awful human being, who pushed you out a window and crippled you and stole your kidney, has done terrible, terrible things to you, uh, and has cleared done terrible things to other people as well he murdered the kid from suits or white collar or whatever it is i still don't remember i think it's suits Uh, and you you guys just kill him kill the guy and Locke's like ah you know i've got no problem throwing a you know a knife into into naomi's back a few episodes from now but killing this guy is just too much he's afraid he's very very afraid this is his devil you know, this is his survivor devil is is Anthony Cooper. Uh and you know, I just he can't he can't lift a finger against him. He's got so much power over Locke's life. Yeah. And I think that's a huge piece of why he's so angry.
1: Well, and I think speaking of why, I think maybe something else as well is that I think Locke, speaking of unresolved business between Jack and his father, even though Cooper rebuffs Locke here and says basically there is no why. I did it because I needed a kidney. You have to feel like Locke wants an answer out of him, you know, as to like, why did you do this to me? Why did you ruin my life this way? And I I love the fact that Locke literally just asks why to Anthony Cooper, because that shows even all the way back when he's not talking about destiny or anything to do with an island, he's still driven by this question of why. He is someone who is consistently looking for meaning in everything. It's just in this circumstance, it's more behavioral meaning than it more more is mythological meaning.
0: Yeah. Yeah um i don't know the the why of it all isn't that like that is the central question of not just lost but life mike
1: right exactly i guess i don't know maybe one day in lost 2 Locke will become why the last man if that ever comes out
0: well as of this recording they still need to cast yorick brown again i don't think that terry o'quinn gets my vote for the gig but if you guys want to try and make that work uh it could be fun he can play the monkey
1: (laughs) i think the monkey should be played by a monkey? No, I think that's you should just, put Terry Quinn in a mocap suit, Andy Circus style, <laughs> and let him be the monkey. <laughs> I think that could be fun. Uh, all right,
0: back at the hatch, Desmond's running around like a madman. Kate has the gun on Desmond. Uh, Locke is going to say, "I, th- I don't think you need that, Kate." Uh, and to Kate's credit, she keeps the gun on Desmond the whole time. She's like, "Locke, you're not, you know, you're not telling me what to do here." Uh, they need to fix the computer. They don't know what to do here. And then Kate offers the idea of, you know, Saeed can fix the computer he's the guy we need to just go find Saeed and bring him back so Locke tells Kate go get Saeed and when Jack agrees when it's like a, a two of the three adults in the room uh, really all three of them are at the same idea right everyone's like "Said can fix a computer and I think Kate to her credit is like I'm by far and away the fastest of this crew uh I'm gonna be able to just hoof it and, and get to Said really really quick yeah uh, no, she doesn't I, I... need to climb the rope out of there there's a front door
1: Ah, finally. But it is interesting when Desmond says, be persistent, the wheel sticks. Like, I don't know how far the frozen donkey wheel is sort of in the writer's room at this point, but I always like to think that's a little nod to a stuck wheel that's going to become very, very important a couple seasons from now.
0: That's really, really fun. I also just love, like, the casual nature with which it's revealed that there's a front door to the hatch.
1: <laughs> yeah, after Kate's an like, entire... yeah, there's
0: gotta be a front door somewhere. This was like, yeah, absolutely, 100%. It's just up and to the left.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, after an entire half-season of trebuchets and major <laughs> no. characters dying to break out and things blowing up and people blowing up to finally get Invasion's house, it was like, oh, yeah, you could have just knocked on, uh, on the front door. I also think it's interesting, you know, I wonder... I wonder if there was any character suggested besides Saeed if everyone would have agreed to it. Because I think at this point, you know, it it seems like Saeed is someone who, like, everyone's on the same page with in terms of trust level. Like, he's very smart because, granted, this hatch thing is a huge deal. Uh, and I know Hurley's going to be the come with guy that gets brought along with all this, but you have to feel like Saeed is sort of like in the secondary circle of trust. Like, I think if if they say, hey, bring Charlie down here, he can fix the computer, they'll be like, like ah, no, 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 no. He might just like riddle it with bullets. He's just going to shoot it more. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think that Saeed was a good choice here. Uh, not oh, even, yeah. Not just yeah. because of his mechanical aptitude, but the fact that he does seem like. You know, he was Jack's, uh, you know, second in command. He was leading the charges from the caves. We're about to see them exodi- their exodus from the caves because we put a rap on the caves. But it seems that at this point that- They have raps at the caves? I, yeah, Why didn't yeah. anyone
0: tell me? I would have gotten no, one. No, they
1: got real sick, Survivor David versus Goliath style. Uh, lots, lots of, Lots of Hurley-esque uh, shenanigans in the bushes after that. But yeah, you can imagine that, you know, Saeed would be somebody to trust and bring in on this ginormous secret at this point.
0: Uh yeah, Saeed is uh among his many skills. He's a rational man. <laughs> it's kind of uh, uh few and far between uh, on the Lost Island. He won't always be that way, but he is that way for now. Uh, let's talk about somebody who is coming off presenting, certainly as a little bit irrational. Let's get the backstory of one Desmond David Hume, uh, who is going to be trying to fix the computer with some some tools that he finds, uh, and in the process. He is going to like just finally like he's had it up to here with like Jack being so angry with him and just like barking at him. He's like, listen, I got to do some stuff. And if I if by telling you my story, it's going to get you off my, my back. I'm just going to tell you my story. So let's listen in on Desmond's story. Sound number three.
3: Now you're going to tell me what's going on. Jack, we don't have time. We're but taking I... a time out. Please just let me. Look, you want to get to work. You're going to tell me how you got here. It was three years ago. I was at a solar race around the world and my my boat crashed into the reef and then Kelvin came Kelvin? Kelvin, he comes running out of the jungle hurry, hurry, come with me he brings me down here first thing he does because it's beeping already he types in the code he pushes the button and it stops what was all that about, I say? just saving the world, he says Saving the world. His words, not mine. So I started pushing the button too. And we saved the world together for a while and that was lovely. Then Kelvin died. And now here I am all alone. The end. (laughs)
1: i love that uh i end i want henry and cusick to read audiobooks but specifically in that rushed desmond tone of like the three little pigs we're building a house (laughs) little pig little pig let me come in so the wolf yeah
0: I thought that he was well familiar with uh, fairy tales, considering his history with uh, the the Shrek franchise.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but he's used to them just ordering them off of his swamp. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I just I love Desmond's method of telling the story, specifically his lying reading of of Kelvin's. Hurry, hurry, come with me. Hurry, hurry, come with me. Yeah,
0: well, he's like hurry hurrying through the story himself. Um, I I love this moment so much. I I love that this episode has such a focus on Jack and Locke and Desmond because. Those are going to be three very central players in the end, mm. right? Like in literally the end of the show, the end of the story, as Desmond says here. Um, like Locke himself is going to be dead, but his his face is going to be uh, very present in everything going on with the source at the heart of the island. Uh, and his spirit, his message is going to be coursing through Jack's veins. Uh, so I just love this moment where where Desmond is like telling this kind of like highfalutin story that lock is hanging on to every single word of and jack is definitely paying attention but he's more like wow what a kooky pants this yeah. guy is soups crazy yeah
1: well i can't believe that guy gave me advice a few years ago <laughs> and i actually used it what was i yeah. love it. he needs a few turns of the screw if you know what i'm talking about
0: absolutely um all right so let's let's continue on with the with the story because jack's gonna say like don't tell me you believe any of that Uh, Yeah, it doesn't make
1: any sense. And Locke says his world is all we have, Jack, which is, I mean, it's interesting, the whole idea of words. Uh, Desmond in his story, when he says, just saving the world, he says, his words, not mine, which I feel like is a sign that his story has proven true. That, you know, once we get the story of the Dharma Initiative and what the Hatch was supposed to do, that it's very clear Desmond was not one of them He's not a Kelvin who was brought in or a Radzinski who was constructing this entire thing. He literally did wash up on an island. So it literally is not his words of saving the world. And who knows if he's ever truly believed it. I love when he's like, if you don't believe me, don't
0: take me. (laughs) But you don't have to take my word for it. (laughs) But uh, I don't. All right.
1: Now I think we're really making a push for Desmond Hume to host Reading Rainbow. I think
0: (laughs) it writes itself. I mean, I think that that's the thing think a lavar burton and henry and cusick team up is uh something that the world desperately needs today's book is called "Sally Goes to the zoo yeah <laughs> turn of the screw uh yeah so the, the go to the bookcase watch the movie you got a movie here in the hatch uh it's not you know saturday night fever but it's it's fun uh it's to- top shelf behind turn of the screw projectors in the pantry just i love the way that like I love the way that he's so nonchalant about all this stuff because these are like big ticket items for for Jack and Locke and everybody yeah. else. It's like, wait, you got you got you guys got movies down here? <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like you got a, you got a, you got a bookcase? You have a projector and it's in the pantry? Uh it's just it's so so fun.
1: Well, so I well, I wonder if at this point cuz Desmond's going to 86 out of there soon. Do you think he's already like eyeing an escape plan, and so he's really even though these he they, they, these guys failed the snowman joke and the "Are you him" question last episode that he's already playing to pass the buck off onto these guys uh yeah, maybe maybe to some degree, but i I don't
0: know i mean listen i I love Desmond, you know i'm I'm a huge Desmond guy. Uh, I, I do not know if I will have children at some point in the future, but we have joked at least to the point of being a little bit serious that Desmond,
1: Desmond Wiggler could be a thing someday, potentially, maybe. That's how much I love Desmond. Well, can I reveal something that I keep forgetting to reveal on this podcast? You almost
0: named Desmond Bloom. Yes. Yeah. I was,
1: I was either speaking to my, our loves of both Star Trek and Lost. It was between Asher, Desmond, and Wesley. Wow. Wow. Uh, Wesley would have crushed it. I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of bald men would have gotten angry at him for no particular reason. So we stayed (laughs) away from it.
0: I love Desmond. You know, that's that's the point. But Desmond, buddy, pal don't you have the fail-safe key? Like, don't mm. you know about the fail-safe key? If things are really this bleak, don't you just, isn't this the time yeah. to use the fail-safe key? So I, I have some questions about whether or not he's planning on passing the buck, I don't know. Uh, but the way that he's dealing with this whole situation, and especially the fact that he's going to dine and dash on on the crew here in a little while when he had the fail-safe key all along. It's, just, it's among Desmond's worst looks, mm. I will say.
1: I wonder if he forgot the key because when jack finds him, he's like oh yeah i'm so stupid the code of course that's what the code you want maybe after jack left he's like oh the key yeah i don't want to bother him again i'm just gonna keep going to the boat
0: um, all right, so uh, he says, orientation films in the pantries. There it is, orientation
1: film. I, um, um, I also will say, even though this episode might have more been appropriately titled Man of Science, Man of Faith, I think orientation is super interesting, not only is it the orientation video, also us being uh, orientated into the idea of the hatch being brought into right, the Dharma right, right, initiative, right, right. but also this idea of orientation in terms of figuring out where you are. Sure, yeah. And I think that connects to the why of it all with John Locke trying to figure out his place in the world, too.
0: Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. Um, All right, at the beach, Hurley and Vincent are playing a little game of light fetch. So,
1: What happened to Shannon?
0: (laughs) Vincent's just totally back, and no one's got a problem with it yet. And Hurley's taking care of the dog right now. (laughs) Uh, And he goes to help Saeed with a case, and he's like, Wow, can't believe we made it through the night. Uh, I heard it was pretty crazy. I wasn't even here for the baby stealing. Uh, And Saeed says, Yeah, you missed a lot of excitement. uh, But thankfully, things are turning back to normal. Ah, crap, here's Kate. (laughs) Kate needs some help.
1: Yeah, so uh, are, is the assumption that because Charlie's been really putting out this information of, like, there are no others, Rousseau is lying, they're like, okay, I guess we're safe back on the beach, let's go back out that, there. That must be it.
0: Uh, I think that that argument must win, and also that it's now daylight and nobody came, so let's just go yeah, back Yeah, Jack to,
1: made to it to true beach. to his promise, sun did get up, and there was no problems. Also, ABC decided that
0: the cave set wasn't uh, pro- proving its worth, and they've shut it down, so we can't ever go back to the caves again.
1: Yes, they were evicted.
0: They were they were booted booted from the caves. Uh meanwhile, on the other end of the island. Uh there's in they're in their own little Oz uh right now. M City on, on the island. Laws uh, so I, <laughs> <laughs> At least we're having fun. I don't know if anyone else is, but you and I are, we're still here. We're having a good time. We're having a
1: great time.
0: We're having a great time.
1: Laws in D. Listen, we (laughs) we just made a Laws reboot and a Reading Rainbow reboot come true. So I think we're getting a lot done for the world here. We're saving the world. You ready for this,
0: Mike? Because I I expect a guffaw from you and nobody else. Uh, Michael is going to be screaming Walt so often this season that he's going to require a throat (laughs) Lozinger. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just what came to mind. It's dumb, not even a father, and there's a dad joke. Uh, all right, so back at Laws. Uh, <laughs> 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 laws. All right, so Sawyer and Jin and Michael are in the hole. Uh, as it were, uh, and Sawyer's trying to get some info out of Jin, but, you know, not not much. Uh, he was blindfolded, and also he doesn't speak English. Uh, and so he wants to be boosted up. Boost me up. Uh, use the boost to chase. And so he gets boosted up to <laughs> and then, the top.
1: Yeah, and, they, and they do
0: a barrel roll once uh, the <laughs> tumble right, out. Good, 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 good. You and I remain it was very, very on the same page today, Mike. Uh, yeah. uh Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a slippy, uh, slippery slope <laughs> as he is. Uh, God, what what's happening to us? <laughs> uh as uh Star Fox, as Sawyer is uh is gonna peek up uh it's weighted down uh and then like a blade comes through not a vampire hunter uh it's gonna slice Sawyer a little bit on the shoulder knocks down their human pyramid uh and echo's gonna be there and he's gonna lift up the the top and gonna throw somebody down it's a girl
1: <laughs> such a dumb line from my it's like it's a girl. Uh, it's very like uh, Lost Boys, Peter Pan Lost Boys, not aforementioned yeah. vampire Lost Boys. Of like, wait a minute, it's a girl here. We yeah. found an Anna Lucia bird.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Anna Lucia is here. Anna Lucia officially in the house. We'll talk about her more in a little bit. Let's go back down the hatch. Uh, let's set up that orientation film. Locke and Jack setting up a projector for some reason. I laughed so hard this time. Because I think it was like the first time I got to watch the episode and sort of just like... Take in like the routine of it, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jack and Locke. After everything they've been through, are here like setting up movie <laughs> night.
1: It's just like so weird, you know. Yeah. It's it's a, one of those things where like you had no idea you'd ever see this image in your mind of like, well, I guess we better sit down and watch this projector film together, Locke. After we've been running from a smoke monster and blowing things up in the jungle of a you know a day or so ago. We're three episodes deep into season two of Lost, and Jack and
0: Locke are setting up a movie. Uh, so it's great. And so Jack wants to get sped up, and uh, Locke, who is perfecting the art of yada yada in this episode, uh, is like, yeah, Kate was tied up. Doesn't have a gun to me. You got the rest of it. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I, he, he's the guy with the gun. I didn't get to ask a lot of questions, which is a little bit of a lie.
1: Yeah, though he does, he does follow up later on by being like, well, he's not, he asked if we were sick. You know, he, he fills in a bit of exposition, but clearly he's not filling Jack in on the entire minutes of the minutes he spent down there with Desmond alone. Yeah,
0: and in a few minutes, the world's going to end. So we're going to have to fix this. And Jack's saying, and you really believe that. This is insane. All of this is insane. And Locke's like, why is this insane? What's the big problem? And Jack says last time I saw a computer that was gonna save the world, it didn't look like that. So Jack
1: has seen a computer that's gonna save the world. Wow. That would be uh my my takeaway from Jack's it. real tech shaming right now. Like they can't even afford DOS. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he probably saw the computer at flight school. Yeah, exactly. uh, but yeah, this is just like again, like ha- smallest violin in the world for Jack Shepard right now. Uh, he said last time I saw a computer it was going to save the world. It didn't look like that. And Locke says, "Are you so upset because he recognized you? Because that would be impossible. Impossible is a big word, John Locke. What if Jack is like a a, a very famous doctor off the island? Say, Doctor Laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, that
1: uh." <laughs> All right, he's Desmond, <laughs> I'm going to want you to call through this imaginary butthole to show how much blockage you have in your colon before you go on you your know, tour to stade. Listen, he's got his own
0: show outside of the, the island, so you just don't know Locke. Uh, Jack could be a very big deal in the medical field, and maybe uh, Desmond knows him from that. Um, but that strikes a nerve with Jack, and so they finally decide, all right, enough talking, let's sit down, let's watch the movie. And though the podcast is uh, an audio medium, uh, we can at least bring in the words of Dr. Marvin Candle here for sound number four the orientation
3: video welcome I'm Dr. Marvin Candle This is the orientation film for station three of the Dharma Initiative. In a moment, you'll be given a simple set of instructions for how you and your partner will fulfill the responsibilities associated with the station. But first, a little history. The Dharma Initiative was created in 1970 and is the brainchild of Gerald and Karen the Groot, two doctoral candidates at the University of Michigan. Following in the footsteps of visionaries such as BF. Skinner, imagine a large-scale communal research compound where scientists and free thinkers from around the globe could pursue research in meteorology, psychology, parapsychology, zoology, electromagnetism and utopian social-inclusive Danish industrialist and munitions magnate Alvar Hanso, whose financial backing made their dream of a multi-purpose social science research facility a reality. You and your partner are currently located in Station 3, or the Swan, and will be for the next 540 days. The Station 3 was originally constructed as a laboratory where scientists could work to understand the unique electromagnetic fluctuations emanating from this sector of the island. Not long after the experiments began, however, there was an incident. And since that time, the following protocol has been observed. Every 108 minutes, the button must be pushed. From the moment the alarm sounds, you will have four minutes to enter the code into the microcomputer process. Induction into the program. When the alarm sounds, either you or your partner must input the code. It is highly recommended that you and your partner take alternating shifts. In this manner, you will both stay as fresh and alert Of the utmost importance, that when the alarm sounds, the code be entered correctly and in a timely fashion. Now, do not attempt to use your computer for anything. Congratulations. Until your replacements arrive, the future of the project is in your hands. On behalf of the De Groots, Alvar Hanso and all of us at the Dharma Initiative, thank you. I must. And good luck.
2: We're gonna need to watch that again. <sighs> legend,
0: legend, legend. We're gonna need to watch that again, it's just such a, so on the nose. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, it, it mean, is it like what everybody, like, this was the best commercial for DVR ever. It's like, we need to have DVR for Lost. So that we could rewind. We're going to need to revisit that because that was crazy. It's such a huge information dump. Also, a a little hard to just listen to because Marvin Candle's all over the place with the film being damaged. Uh, My my favorite, at
1: least the Radzinski cut. My my,
0: (laughs) my favorite, my favorite garbled line has always been and utopian, social, inclusive Danish industrial and munitions magnet of our Hansa's. Like, wow, that's a very accomplished man. Uh, he's a utopian, social, inclusive Danish industrialist and munitions magnet, Alvar
1: Hanzo. It's got a
0: lot going yeah,
1: on. Multi hyphenate going on. <laughs> yeah, oh I, my this, god, this is probably. You know what? I'll put it out there. This is my favorite act break in lost history. I think. Wow. I think. I think that we're going to need to watch that again because, like you said, it's so emblematic. Of the That's series. a great bonus
0: podcast. Is to rank uh, the the best. You can you couldn't do them all. It'd be no. too much. But, uh, but I
1: think that the crazy thing about this, Josh, I am still floored. They put this smack dab in the middle of the episode. I, right. I can imagine a draft. I can imagine a million other showrunners putting it right at the end because this is such a big reveal. Literally, we said world changing but they say, Oh no, we got to reconcile with this information. There's still so much of the episode to go. So to really have this in the meat of that sandwich, I find such an interesting choice.
0: Oh, it's, it's amazing. Um, there, there's just a lot going on. I mean, a lot of this obviously does pay off because we're now introduced to the Dharma initiative. This is one of the, the several different stations that are, that are locked around the Island. Um, but then there's other stuff that like, I guess, depending on your degree of fandom does or does not pay off. Like, it's really not a ton of the de of the DeGroots. Uh, we are not mm. DeGroot, uh, Wait, and then ultimately.
1: There's actually, and there's, I mean, I think Hanso, there's going to be stuff with the Lost experience, which I'm sure we'll exactly. touch upon at some point. But he is also one of the people, it's, I find it, you know, uh, very apropos that the shot we get of Alvar Hanso in the movie is him standing in a skyscraper, like, very darkened, as if he's this mysterious Danish socialist, whatever you have. And we barely know anything about him through the canon of Lost in particular
0: well we we know about him through the ARG uh, uh, as you say like we we get that in ancillary material which um i think is is an understandable choice if you put yourself in the in the headspace of like mid 2000s right uh like you know this is like you know dark knight territory and like the joker viral marketing and everything like that and this is a big piece of that narrative um does it ultimately like severely harm Lost? I don't think so. I think like we, we get a lot of like the characters who could occupy Alvar Hanzo type spaces along the way, uh, whether it's Benjamin Linus, for example, uh, or Charles it's Charles Winmore. Know, exactly. Or turning, um, you know, turning the monster into a flesh and blood character later on down the line. Like wh- whoever could have like occupied sort of like this, this big bad space that I think like you, you do get this like foreboding sense from Alvar Hanzo in that shot. Like, Uh, Like, yeah, he's a utopian, social inclusive, Danish industrial, uh, but he's a a munitions magnet. So you got to be a little bit alarmed uh, when it comes to Alvar Hanzo. So so I think like the, you know, certainly my first impression as as already articulated is like, okay, so here's the bad guy. Uh, And that never really pays off other than outside of the, the main canon of Lost. And I don't really care about that so much personally uh like i'm not that big i don't care i just don't i don't really care about that stuff i just want what's on the show if you know any of my takes on things like last chance kitchen on top chef uh then you know how i feel about digital content being necessary for your main content viewing i think it's a it's a mistake um is it a huge error here i think that they're able to, to to pivot um but there is some stuff here like in the swan station video that really does just like kind of like smell of ARG, yep. you know, and, and like that's for better and for worse. I still think that this is all so iconic uh, and it's such a funny information dump just in the middle of the thing. And it's, it's weird. It's unsettling. You get answers to the polar bears, uh, but it's just it's so odd. It's so odd. And that 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 final uh, line, as you say. Uh, best act break ever. It's certainly up there. We're going to need to watch that again. Uh, Locke, a man of the people. In oh,
1: I I love it. And yeah, we introduced Pierre Chang, alias Marvin Candle, and I remember the speculation already being like, why is that guy moving his hand weird? Like, who is this Why man? isn't he
0: moving that one arm at all? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Like, there was the speculation about him. There was the fact that this film is three of six, which until the blast door we really were not, or until the other 48 days, we really had no idea about the existence of other hatches, but this sort of outright confirms it we get the whole list uh, of the liberal arts of the dharma foundation including <laughs> right. meteorology psychology parapsychology zoology electromagnetism which obviously the swan is the latter. and i spoke about this uh, i mean you know i made a joke about it beforehand but there are several skips uh, in the film, but I think the biggest one, which is going to be embraced later, and I think what Kate did, maybe when Echo talks about the the sliver that he found uh, in the Bible, is the, do not attempt to use the computer for any, congratulations. And That's the hint of menace that it leaves in true Lostian fashion, right? Is like, wait, there's still something really bad that could happen, but it doesn't matter. We're not going to give that to you yet. So they're still revealing so much to you, but at the same time, they're holding back on some elements
0: yeah do not attempt to use a computer i just love that i think that that's great Obviously, stop we'll all the that. downloading yeah stop all the help computer i don't know much about computers uh but it, we we get we get a, a a lot of stuff here even even with all the skips we get uh, as you say pierre chang is, is making his debut here uh great to see it, pierre uh we're getting the introduction of namaste uh, which is obviously going to be a big part of the, the 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 lexicon of the Dharma Initiative, at least. Uh, we also get like the weird funky Dharma Initiative orientation yeah. video it's music, like which weird I love.
1: klezmer music, but done through like an NES eight bit system.
0: It's great. It's great. Whoever's responsible for
1: that is awesome, Michael Giacchino. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I would assume. I would yeah, assume I'm that pretty that's sure actually. Joint. it was in one of the it was in the Jim Fell's video this week. That obviously this is one of the motifs that debuts is a Dharma Hatch. Uh, movie. So I think when Locke is maybe in the pearl or in the flame when he watches an orientation video, they they bring back the same music. But I don't know if it's as warbly as this time out.
0: Yeah, maybe it was uh, uh, Dr. Who You Wit who was
1: mm, responsible for that. Uh, it didn't have as much safety. of a rollicking beat behind it. Otherwise, I would credit to him.
0: Yeah, if you have not yet listened to the DJ Dom Exposed Party uh, that we released earlier in the week, highly recommended. We're going to keep it spoiler free on the DJ Dom beat until next week, let's say. You got a week. You got a week, and then we'll we'll talk about everything that happened there. Uh we have no feedback for the DJ Dom exposate party uh on uh the the podcast this week uh because we are recording this after uh after all of that has gone down, uh, but not quite uh with enough time to process your feedback. Uh we'll get to it next week. All right, flashback time, Mike.
1: It's a happy anniversary. Yeah, happy six months. Again, we keep hopping ahead like Locke hops out of bed refusing to spend the night with helen uh as it turns out that they're they're celebrating something pretty big though again helen sort of realizes that Locke has one eye on her and one eye on somebody else
0: yeah uh she's she's hip to what's going on just like she's gonna so she's got an anniversary gift for Locke that's really gonna spill the beans he's like oh i didn't get you anything she's like don't worry it only cost me a dollar
1: yeah, it's a key and I mean and maybe in a different world Locke would be like, "Okay, I guess we're going to a key party now. Is that the gift here, Helen? We're going to start swinging right. now?" Uh Mike, by the
0: way, uh it should be noted that we are releasing this podcast on Valentine's Day 2020. Uh happy valentines to all of our hatchlings. You are all our collective valentine. Mm-hmm. We are all each other's constant. Should we rebrand it Constance Day?
1: <laughs> I think <laughs> or should
0: Constance yeah. Constance Day should have its own own special day.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I guess, uh, what was that episode? Four something?
0: Uh Oh, gosh. Uh, put me on the spot here. I think four oh five.
1: Yeah, okay. So I think, ish? let's call April 5th, Constant Day.
0: All right, let's see. Let's see if that's right. No, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Season 4, Episode it 5. Wow. Oh, man. Well, it, it aired on February 28th, so if you wanted to to do it there. um, But Constant Day, that's going to be great. <laughs> but we're releasing this on Valentine's Day. Uh, it's the sixth month anniversary of John Locke and, uh, and Helen Norwood. So happy Valentine's Day and happy sixth month anniversary. But Mike, I'll have you know, I'm pretty sure that this is the sixth month anniversary of Town the hatch.
1: What? What? <laughs> I, I, th- I think that's right. Is our podcast pretty, as functions as long as the relationship between Helen and Locke to this point? You know, it's pretty
0: close. It's not exact. Uh, but we, we debuted on 815 on August 15th, Mm. 2019. And six months later ish, here on February 14th, uh, 2020, here we are, uh, enjoying our own six month anniversary alongside John and Helen. Well, now Uh, I feel like a real lock because I did not get you anything. I, I, I didn't get you anything either. Uh, so don't, don't worry about it. Uh, as I like throw away the, 500 dollar present that i got for
1: you no Uh, that i so with 500 keys is that what you got me
0: i got you 500 keys (laughs) i have a lot of different doors a lot of different places that i wanted to hanging over
1: this giant key ring
0: (laughs) yeah uh in my spare time i am a key collector
1: yeah i thought you might Um, get tired of knocking on literally every door that exists every single
0: door that you've ever passed because i've got the keys to all of them. Um, all right, and I've only given you five hundred. Um, so, so Helen's saying, like, yeah, here's the key. Here's the catch: you can't have it if you're uh, gonna keep going and checking in on your dad. And Locke's not happy that he's uh, that he's been stalked. Well, this is a very much of the don't
1: tell me what I can and can't do. School. Listen, well, shoes on the other wiggling foot here, John. And I think that Helen, you know, brings things back to anger management, which I can imagine that both of them had not back and been back to that group for half a year, but. She talks about how, you know, in her process of getting over her own anger, which, again, we're not entirely sure about, but she says it's not an independent job. And I feel like here lies the inherent disconnect that's going to exist between these characters. I talked about this in the beginning of the season, but John Locke is, at his core, an individual person, which is going to be very interesting when later on we're going to see him reaching out to others. It feels like a very big break for his character. But Locke, in general, is somebody who feels like, I mean, he's lived life not being able to make a lot of connections, so he's had to rely on himself and feel like, okay, if you have to get something done, you might as well get it done yourself. Don't trust other people. Don't rely on other people. And I think that sort of manifests itself here, where, I mean... I'm going to assume this is the first major relationship that John Locke has been in, romantically speaking, and so I think that's something that he is not necessarily familiar with, that it takes two to tango in this relationship. He's doing his own solo tap dance here, and Helen's trying to basically guide him by the hand on the dance floor and say, no, 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 we need to follow these steps together.
0: Okay, so what would have been a better flashback episode, John Locke the pot farmer or John Locke the tap dancer?
1: I think we all know the answer to that. Like bringing yeah, bring in bring the, the late Gregory Hines to be his like uh beleaguered tap dance teacher. Locke tries to enter the big dance competition and fails miserably when he sees Anthony Cooper in the audience and he gets really nervous. Anthony Cooper's a judge somehow, so like I think we wanted to see Locke the tap dancer on the on lost flashback episode.
0: Uh, so we come out of the flashback, and Locke is setting up the tape to watch it again. And uh, Jack says, you seriously going to watch it again? Locke says, you're not? He's like, no, John, I'm not.
1: Well, speaking towards the meta aspect, it does feel like there was a, a facet of the fandom, right? That was like, "What? The, the, you're, you're digging too deep into this, man. Like, this is just Probably, a fun show yeah. to watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look... Uh, lost lost
0: people along the way i mean there's still a very sizable chunk of humanity that is watching the show at this point in time but is the orientation video an inflection point in where lost starts to lose people i think certainly mm. uh, i think uh you, you could certainly make that argument uh so if it's losing jack here a little bit i think that that's pretty fun um Anyway, we'll continue with Jack and, and, and Locke and Desmond and everybody in, in a little while. Let's go back to Laws real quick. Uh, and in the hole, uh, the girl, as she's referred to, wakes up. And uh, first words from Ana Lucia Cortez here in season two of Lost. Not quite her first scene on Lost, thanks to Exodus. Um, but it's still a monumental occasion and it's worth a listen.
3: <sighs> but okay, okay, okay. All right,
2: sister. Who are you?
3: We crashed here. We were on a plane. Sydney to Los Angeles. What? Forty of us made it.
2: Flight 815?
3: You were on it, too. What? You were in the back? broke off midair how did you I don't sp- know i don't know the plane came apart and, and somebody's freaking hard side came out of the overhead and knocked me out i woke up underwater and made my way to the top swam to shore
2: you've been out here um, by yourself all this time
3: trying to find food making my way hoping to find somebody and then, yesterday, they found me. Who are they? You tell me. Did you see a, a boy? Ten years old. They took my son.
2: No, I'm sorry. Mona Lucia. Sawyer. This is Mike. Quiet, Korean and Jim. We're about
3: to be the best thing that ever happened to you.
2: How's
3: that? Next time Shaft opens a cage, he's going to get a surprising little howdy doody.
1: Uh, <laughs> Josh
0: Holloway can sell so much, but we're going to give him a surprising little howdy doody
1: as is, is a bridge too far. <laughs> I mean, I we say this as the people who
0: created laws and made Star Trek, uh, Star Fox references earlier in uh, a segment in the prison. Uh, but I felt like, confi- like more confident in that choice after hearing, uh, revisiting Sawyer saying... We're going to give Shaft a surprising little howdy duty. <laughs> Season two, you're losing me just a little just bit.
1: To, just as much. There's a lot of goofballs going on, I think, in the writer's room here. Oh my
0: God. I mean, I think that our DJ Dom expose party was a little bit of a surprising howdy duty as well. Uh, yeah, is that what we should call like uh, any shocks from here on out on the Down yeah. The
1: Hatch Podcast, a surprising on a little sc- on Howdy Duty. from Howdy to Duty, how how big <laughs> of a shock was this? See, this is uh. this is an interesting scene. So let's I want to take it from uh, Al's perspective. Let's let's go to Anna Lucia's inner monologue here because obviously she's playing the role of the mole here. She is someone who is pretending to be you know one of the others captured people to really find out if these three guys are from the others or something else. I mean, she's going to eventually leave the pit, but what do you think of her suspicion levels? How does it track over the course of this conversation as these guys introduce themselves to her?
0: It's it's really the the conversation she has in the, in the final scene uh, of the Laws portion of the storyline this week, um, where she really uh, lays it on thick that even Sawyer is paying attention. I think that this is more a knock against Sawyer for me, than it is, um, a, you know, a knock against Ana Lucia. I think she's doing a pretty, you know, she's she's laying it on pretty thick. But uh, Sawyer is really not. He should be. He should know a cop, right? Mm. Like that should be one of Sawyer's automatic skills. Is that he he knows a cop when he sees one, uh, and he can't recognize it from Ana Lucia here with her story. Maybe it's because uh, the best lies, Mike, uh, are steeped in truth, and uh, much of the story is true. You know, she has you know, how she woke up. You know, I don't know. We don't. We never see the hard side knock her right. out, but she she does wake up in the ocean. Um, all of that makes some sense. Uh, so maybe she's you know she's telling some truth here, and that that sticks. Uh, but uh, Sawyer should Sawyer should probably smell bacon at some point in this first conversation.
1: Well, what I'm interested in is I actually think again I think I'm projecting here, much like uh, the thing that existed that played the orientation film, but I think. When Michael starts talking about Walt, I wonder if that makes Anna Lucia start to, like, not necessarily soften, but at least start to believe, like, okay, I think these guys might be who they they say they are. You know, I I know the others can be cruel, but I see the panic and the sadness on this guy's face. She's a cop. She's good at reading people. And I feel like Sawyer, unfortunately, doesn't help the case for these three guys when the next thing he follows up with is, I'm going to shoot the guard next time right. you know like he's the, right. one's really showing the emotionality of who these people might be and the other one's saying great i'm gonna shoot him and so maybe he's i don't think he's undoing maybe the work that michael is accidentally putting in here but i think the discrepancy between the two uh could be handled very interestingly from ann lucia's perspective
0: yeah I, I do think um i sawyer is like revealing his biggest card mm. right to a complete stranger this total random stranger who's been thrown into the prison on the exact same day, you know, and he's going to show her like, I've got a gun and it's a it's called Howdy Doody is the name of the gun. <laughs> and I'm showing it to you. And this is just this is bad work on Sawyer's part. Yeah, he got conned. Yeah, yeah, you got he got uh, you got taken got taken in here. Uh, we'll, we'll refer back to this scene in a little while first let's get some Desmond and Jack action because Jack has watched the video uh, and he's got some questions for, for Des
2: are you in contact with the people that made it the film are you in contact with anyone
3: do you think I'd be here for us
2: how is it that you didn't know about the crash about us
3: I push this button every 108 minutes I don't get out much so these replacements Calvin died waiting for his replacements so you don't get out you don't see anyone where's your food come from?
2: you really think this is happening? why wouldn't it be?
3: it says quarantine on the inside of the hatch keep you down here keep you scared but you know what we've been up there for over 40 days and no
2: one's gotten sick you think this is the only part of it that's true do you ever think that maybe they put you down here to push a button every hundred minutes just to see if you would that all this the computer the button is just a mind game an experiment
3: every single day And for all our sakes, I hope it's not real. But the film says this is an electromagnetic station. And I don't know about you, brother, but every time I walk past that concrete wall out there, my feelings hurt.
1: Another great act break in this episode. Desmond flips the switch to try to turn on the computer, and the whole system blows. Oh, uh, blows up. I uh, I love uh, the line, every time I walk
0: past the concrete wall, my feelings hurt. Yep. Which I've always, always heard as... My feelings my hurt? My feelings hurt. <laughs> uh, which always cracked me up. Even though I knew what it was he was saying, I just... It's great. The it's walls. Like every here. time I walk
1: past that wall, I'm just reminded of the fact that I'm here. My f- really? When I walk past the wall, it makes fun of me. It says my hair's too yeah. long. <laughs> it's way too long. we are very mean walls here, Jack. <laughs> Look at you, Desmond. All alone here in the hatch.
0: What a loser! Yeah, you've no friends. Oh, that
1: stupid wall. Could you imagine? Like it's he's haunted by the voices of everyone who was down in the hatch here before him. Like Rosinski and and Inman are just mm-hmm. there, having to make fun of him the entire time. It's a possessed
0: wall. It's a, The wall is like filled. It's the home of the whispers. Yeah. So all of these dead people are just like mocking you from behind the wall, hurting your feelings.
1: Speaking of Inman, so Desmond has a very interesting and, you know, with the history of Desmond, this was supposed to be the last episode he appeared in. Uh, we were not going to have him return for Live Together, Die Alone. So maybe the whole plot twist of him having killed Inman was not you know in the uh the uh the uh the universe at this point but i do find it interesting that desmond seems to withhold the information in both you know when he's accosted at, a, uh, at when he gives his story and then this moment about how you know hey kelvin inman just happened to die for no particular reason waiting for his replacements
0: right right seems like that's what's gonna happen to him unless they can fix this computer yeah absolutely might not be able to do might not be able to do it uh everything blacks out the clock is
1: now at 48 minutes and now everything everything's washed in like this ambient yellow emergency lighting which i think is such an interesting color because it really it brings about like red is obviously like a sense of danger but really the warm lighting almost brings uh a sense of like weird warmth to it which really juts up against like the immediate world ending danger that they're in right now uh yeah i th- I think it's it's just a great
0: aesthetic. everything is just like and not for nothing like the later on in the show in a in a very very vital moment uh in the very climax of the series uh a big yellow glow is going to be of monumental importance uh so just to connect what's going on down here in hail in the hatch. Uh, with uh, with what's going to happen with the cork uh, and the the source at the heart of the island later on in the show,
1: uh, not uh, I mean probably an accident. At least uh, they they don't know what they're I doing. I don't know. I feel like there's something about color theory that we can look into with the color yellow and the fact that maybe if we're connecting colors to characters, maybe the fact that Desmond happens to be occurring in seasons where both happen to be a major motif is not exactly convenient. Once more
0: yeah i mean we can we can get into a a lost color theory bonus podcast sounds like something that we'll say we'll do um and won't actually do uh desmond's just gonna cheese it he's like all right uh mic drop can't do anything more i don't know any other backup last resort fail safe solutions to our problem so i'm going to run away yeah he rage quits he rage quits. He rage quits. Even though he's got, he knows about the freaking failsafe key. Is this not the time to use the failsafe key, Desmond? But uh, do, do the writers yet know about the failsafe key? I, 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 I doubt it. Would be my, would be my yeah.
1: guess. Concerning that again, we, the, I, it seems like he didn't know about the death of Kelman Inman, nor the failsafe key. Now it seems like maybe the electromagnetism is already starting to mentally fluts with Desmond, or this is just something that had not developed for the, the character at this point. It's certainly
0: possible. He's going to cheese it. He's going to run away. Bad luck for Dez. Uh, And Jack is going to start running after him. Uh, And Locke's like, why are you doing this? Don't leave me. Please, gosh. Please don't do it. And uh, he says it exactly like that. And Jack says, "Uh, but I thought this is what was supposed to happen. Uh, And he says, sorry, John. You're on your own. And he now bails. Uh, and then Locke is on his own, and we've already listened to this at the start of the episode, but it's, he's just, like, futzing around, he drops some tools, he's freaking out, he's, like, talking to himself, why is this happening like this, what do you want? And then he has the great line read, uh, what
1: am I supposed to do? I love it, because, I mean, it's not exactly like the end of Deus Ex Machina, but it's a very similar, I mean, we're gonna talk about leap of faith very soon, but it's sort of a leap of faith for John to feel like he's speaking directly to the island, and you know, the whole event of Deus Ex Machina really fortified for him. Okay, I have to listen to the island. The island giveth the island, taketh away. You know, I want to make sure that I'm in faith with the island because it's provided me with so many opportunities. This is yet another moment where he feels, for lack of a better term, lost. He feels completely abandoned once more when Jack says, you're on your own. He's independent again, and he's suffering from that independence because now he is completely guideless. He has no compass. He has no orientation at this moment, and... It's a rare moment of fury and rage that we see from Jock, where, again, the only other time we really saw him do this was in Deus Ex Machina, and I think it's very interesting that both are times when he's completely alone, whereas when other people are here, he almost puts on a certain performance, as it were. When he's putting on a performance for the island, it's a very different version.
0: All right, well, let's, uh, let's wrap up the flashback portion of uh, Orientation. See, I feel like the
1: flashback goes really fast. Really? Yeah, yeah. We're only six run, sounds run in. Th- theoretically, three fourths of the way through the episode, and we're done with the flashbacks here.
0: Well, let's cue up sound number seven, Mike, as we go back to the past, and John Locke is going to like immediately violate the no visiting your dad <laughs> policy. And there's, and there's
1: there's a really interesting, again, speaking towards the light in this episode. There's a really interesting shot of you know the two of them lying there, and Helen's obviously sleeping, and it's all dark except for one sliver of light on John Locke's eyes and we know how important eyes are to loss and you just see them darting around as if he's like he needs to get out of here it's actually oddly enough like a weird Anthony Cooper part of him uh, not just the genetics and a kidney and that it feels like he sort of sneaking away up to his own duplicitous deeds evidently it's once again to show up outside his house and just sort of skulk there. No coffee this time that he can sit Oh, uh, well, it's, late. it's
0: late. It's very late. Unless he really plans on pulling the all-nighter. It's a little late for coffee. Uh, but it's not too late for uh for Helen to 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 stalk John Locke once again, but this time announce herself uh by uh bumping her car into his car, and they get into uh a big confrontation, which we will hear right now.
2: Why are you doing this? He's not coming out of his house, John, because he doesn't care. I know why you're here, why you keep coming here. You're scared. You're scared of moving forward with me, with us. You're going to have to choose. Him or me. No, 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 it's not that simple. Yes, it is. I I, I can't I can't Yes you can No I can't I don't know how Because you don't know what's going to happen None of us do that's why it's called a leap of faith, John. You don't have to be alone.
1: And then she proceeds to reach out her hand in a way that kind of looks like she's about to force choke him. It's very strange.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret origin of Helen Norwood. She yeah, um, Helen. Yeah, she comes from a Sithy background. It really does uh, yeah. make
1: sense why she has to keep her rage controlled, because we know that, you know, from the story of Anakin Skywalker and the plague of Darth Sidious the Wise, what can happen when absolute power corrupts absolutely.
0: Yeah, Helen in, in the sideways universe.
1: Are you an angel? Oh, no, um. please. So <laughs> an it's, angel. It's so interesting because, you know, I think some people understandably would write off uh, this flashback, especially compared to what we got in Walkabout and Deus Ex Machina, which might be two of the fl- best flashback episodes ever. But I don't know, I have a place in my heart for this flashback, and particularly this scene, because I guess it's my own headcanon, Josh, that I think the John Locke that we see today in terms of a sense of faith is built in this moment. And maybe, you know, we, we, once we sort of track John Locke's chronology further, maybe that ends up undoing itself a little bit. But part of me likes to think that one of the reasons why Locke is such a believer nowadays in whatever that word might entail is because Helen essentially taught him Faith is essentially jumping without a parachute sometimes and hoping that something safe will catch you.
0: Except uh, that he got so badly burned. Uh, not like Mustafa style, but emotionally <laughs> I'm burned. I'm very badly burned! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she hurt his feelings, you know, by... uh oh, his she, fe- she that, feelings. She are... that hatch wall? She's part of that hatch wall. Uh, that, you know, eventually she's gonna... Uh, things are not gonna work out between them, so... Uh, it's interesting. I think it's an interesting perspective. Um, I think it's it, you can add it to the to the big pile of things in John's life uh, that uh, have have pushed him in the direction that he's ultimately going to go. Um, back at the hatch, uh, no sign. the The wall maybe had. Uh, we're just coming back as the wall has been uh, hurting Locke's feelings as he's alone. He's crying, uh, but Kate shows up. Hurley shows up. Saeed shows up. Yeah, Hurley came um, with. Hurley came with. Uh, And they need Saeed's help. We need to fix the computer. We've got 24 minutes. Uh, So we get straight to work. Said's not asking any questions right now. Uh, Just kind of going straight into it. He needs Kate and Hurley to find the conduit line. uh, To to follow the conduit line, it'll take you to the breaker box. uh, And... You know, I would be fairly useless in this situation, except for the fact that Saeed gives good instructions. I think uh,
1: he's a a very patient teacher. Mm -hmm. Are you saying we should possibly see a future Marvin Candle role for Saeed, should he have lived in this series? Oh, that could have been
0: interesting uh he would have had a lot less than just a missing arm or a lot more than just a missing
1: <laughs> you should arm imagine him like it. looting tune style like exploded hair or like oh like covered the, the broken
0: teeth yeah broken teeth uh hurley doesn't find the conduit line or the breaker box but he does find it depending on what you mean by it
1: mm-hmm. and to be continued until next time this is just a little crumb that will lead to a much larger problem for hurley next episode
0: yeah for sure. Um, back at LAZ. Uh they're going to play Sick Prisoner. Uh, the oldest trick in the book, Mike.
1: Yep, and that's why nobody uses it anymore. Uh, well, I guess in this scenario, you don't necessarily know when you're doing Sick Prisoner that one of the people who is in on the plan with you is actually, is a, cop. Uh, actually yes, a spy on behalf an of the undercover organization that put you there in the first place.
0: Undercover police officer. Uh, so, uh, bad on Sawyer once again. Uh, He has the gun out. She's asking a lot of questions. And they're very tough questions. And it's only at the very end that he starts to suspect that maybe she's asking uh, too many questions about the gun. But by the time he puts that together, she hits him in the arm and takes the gun and she's got the gun. And she has what I would consider to be, within my own personal Lost fandom, an iconic line Uh, And the iconic line, more of an iconic line read, is uh, Michelle Rodriguez as Ana Lucia Cortez uh, calling to Mr. Echo, Coming out! Coming out! (gasps) Coming out! Was, uh, was Echo I don't know just, how many times I have said those words in Anna Lucia voice over the course of my life. Uh, once again with my my friend, who I say
1: I'm so sorry, whiz. Or uh, ah, this is, this, now that's a paper towel. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this is this has really stayed with me. Is
1: coming out. It was Echo just like waiting there for his cue in yeah. the wings the entire time. Yeah, yeah, he's uh.
0: Listen, when he heard that they were going to play Howdy Doody, he was like, "Oh, a show."
1: Imagine him with like a little cowboy hat on.
0: Yeah. Uh that would be an incredible look. Uh so Anna Lucia is coming out. Uh Mr. Echo is there and he's uh happy to see Anna Lucia plus Howdy Doody and uh he says, "What happened? Who are they?" Uh and so even though like we already know at this point uh if you've been Uh, If you're a Lost fan watching this on the first watch and you're a Lost fan who's obsessed enough to, like, be hip to, like, casting notices and stuff, like, you can probably figure out that these were the tailies. Uh, But this is another just great moment where it's like, yeah, these aren't, no, no one here is exactly who the other person thinks.
1: Yeah, and I love the final shot of the specific people they choose to close in on with Michael and Anna Lucia being the ones to look at each other. Through the bars of laws slash the tiger pit. I don't know if it's foreshadowing as to the fact that Michael's going to be the one to ultimately kill Anna Lucia, or the fact that Michael, I guess, is sort of the de facto leader of this trinity of guys that survived the raft. But I, I think it's very interesting that they choose to focus on those two to close out this plot line for the episode.
0: Another powerful twosome uh, is Jack and Desmond. Jack catches up with Desmond uh desmond's lost a little speed since he's been landlocked in the hatch and, and also his zipping skills are subpar he trips and his bag just
1: splurs <laughs> open
0: yeah, yeah and he's not able to like zip on the fly later uh i don't know about his fly i don't think he has a fly in the jump shoot oh uh, that's suit. a
1: real miss in the design of those jumpsuits from the I dharma he, people <laughs>
0: i think he probably just have to take the full suit off which is uh uh not great depending on the circumstances oh i love this idea of dharma rompers
1: just really just, inconvenient to wear but fashionable as hell
0: well, yeah, I just think it's it's bad for uh for certain utilities. Uh but Jack is is barking mad when he comes and finds Desmond. He's got the gun on him. Um, I don't know how much we've talked about the way that Jack holds a gun, how he holds I don't guns think at people. So. Uh it just just watch it. Just watch the way that Matthew Fox as Jack Shepard, wields a gun. Uh he's always just like he's he's very aggro. He's just so intense. And sometimes, like, just, like, very casual for a, a spinal surgeon who is not a natural action hero. Uh, just the way that he holds his guns at always struck me as, like, very aggressive. I guess, like, the act of holding a gun
1: out is very aggressive. Uh, but it's like he's, like,
0: choking the life out of his own gun.
1: I would not be surprised, honestly, if Jack, like, at the pit of his post-divorce lifestyle, went to, like, a shooting range to take out his aggression, you know?
0: Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: But yeah, I mean, uh, d- that did not evidently happen here. He was not following the six rules of anger management because Josh Jack no. is furious. This is not John Locke, yes. where were you furious? But he is yelling at Desmond.
0: He's very mad. Uh, why, why have you been pushing this button? Uh, what are you running from? You don't even know what you're running from. And that triggers it for Desmond. He's like, running. That's it. We ran. You're a runner. Is that I met you? Los Angeles, I was training. You twisted your ankle. I, People don't like our Desmond voice. I mean, good. Should leave, it, leave it to Shrek. Leave
1: it to Shrekman. I mean, interesting. You know, we talked about how that conversation was obviously more monumental for Jack than it was for Desmond. Good on Desmond for remembering a conversation that happened, th- what, three years ago at this point. I would be hard pressed to ask, to you know, be asked about the exact metrics behind a conversation that I have with somebody, even if it was as weird as like a random doctor who had twisted his ankle in an empty stadium.
0: No, but it was an indelible moment for Desmond as well, I bet. Um, you know, first of all, in his afterlife, he's going to flash back to this. You know, mm. like, he's going to he's gonna remember this in the Sideways universe. Um, but this is where he and Penny, um, you know, saw each other for the first time in so long. Uh, and, you know, he has that fateful conversation with Penny right before he starts racing against Jack. So I'm sure for him, like... Love is very much on the mind in that moment. He's thinking about Penny, and he's having a strange encounter with another guy who's sort of, in in his own way, lovelorn, even if he doesn't know it yet. Um, so it, it it tracks for me that Desmond remembers the interaction, and it also tracks for me that it's going to take like some intensity from the other person to, like, re-trigger that memory of, like, uh, oh, you're the guy. You're the guy from that thing. Because mm. I don't think he's got the same memory that Jack does. Um, but Desmond's romantic, and, you know, he remembers his romantic stories. He really wants to know the ending, too. He's like, give me the spoilers. How did it go? <laughs> the end. <laughs> uh, so, well, like, I
1: married her! Well, yeah, I was going to say, speaking of intensity, because, again, back to the whole, you do not even know what you're running from. Again, charting Jack's psychology throughout this episode, why is he so angry? at this point is this just him at the end of his rope we've seen him before physically speaking but it really seems almost from a mental perspective for jack he is just fried right now well
0: i think again like it's it's reminding him of the failure of his marriage which is still probably a very sensitive area for jack i don't think that he's quite past that um and i i think to a certain degree this like quiet recognition that something logically must be happening here that's very strange. It's it's such a bizarre coincidence that it has to be kind of divine that Desmond is on this island. That this person who you met is is out here. Um, and I think for him to acknowledge that and to acknowledge the possibility that he is here for a reason and he is here for a purpose is to acknowledge that maybe everything else that's happened was for a purpose as well. And if that's the case, what, I I, I got married to and divorced from this this woman all as part of this grand plan that I don't have control over. Mm-hmm. And he is somebody who has a hard time letting go, uh, is a very famous attribute about Jack Shepard. Uh, he is a man who likes to be in control of his destiny and his circumstances. And this would have to be not only relinquishing a certain amount of control, but also accepting that um, these painful experiences were part and parcel with uh, this this quote-unquote destiny that he has um so i i can understand why this would be very 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 triggering and, and troubling for jack
1: if that's the case because i follow your logic here i kind of wish they concentrated more on that if that's the case i mean i guess we'll sort of get him reconciling with that fact when he resignedly agrees to push the button but to that point this seems like a big character moment for jack and i guess there's so much going on in this episode that there's little to quibble with but i wonder You said before that this is almost an equal episode in terms of Locke and Jack, but maybe from like an emotional journey perspective, it seems to be more so focused on the Locke than the Jack, even though they sort of end up on the same place quite literally. Yeah, I
0: think in terms of clarifying it, completely agreed. And I think like the stuff with Jack, like you kind of just have to extrapolate from, you know, you have to headcanon it. So none of this is like official canon. Uh, Like you have to, I don't know, get on a podcast and talk for five hours about every episode of lost Mm, required Uh, required yeah, required required stuff uh and so desmond uh he's you know he's broken jack i married her jack's crying now Uh, and you're not married to her anymore
1: i can imagine Uh, desmond what taking a a bottle of diodes and like a motherboard and putting it over jack being like you're not broken anymore i'm fixing you
0: yeah (laughs) he just starts putting them back together (laughs) uh well he get he gives the the signature line once again see in another life yeah Uh, And then he runs off with the backpack in his arms like a small child. (laughs) Oh, he can't zip it up. He can't zip it up.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe uh, Kelvin broke the zipper or maybe in his rage post Kelvin, (laughs) he broke the zipper and now he's paying for his actions. It could be that with like
0: the uh, electromagnetic breakdown Mm. that happened when Oceanic crashed uh, that the backpack, the zipper uh, is a jar as a result is like off track.
1: Mm, yeah, that's why you need a drawstring. I think that's really yeah. the way to go when it came to Dharma designing anything around any uh elements that exist in the hatch considering the electromagnetism of it all.
0: Totally agreed. Um in the hatch there's five minutes left uh, and uh Said is still working dutifully uh and beautifully I would say uh Said is really on his game here um and uh he knows that the the that the, the clock is ticking down and it's taken down to something, and the computer needs to be repaired in time, so I don't care what it is, Locke, as long as you tell me why we're doing this once it's done, that's good enough for me. Uh, Syed has already said just a couple of episodes earlier, easy to forget, uh, that he doesn't trust Locke, but he suspects he may be our best shot at surviving on this island, so... Uh, he's putting some faith it's a leap of faith that mm-hmm. saeed is uh demonstrating
1: here i wonder if it's a thing where like in the micro he'll follow Locke's orders but in the macro like if Locke proposed him right there like you're gonna sit down and press this button maybe saeed would refuse but if it's a small task and i know putting fixing an entire computer system is a quote-unquote small task but something as immediate as this saeed's more liable to trust him because it doesn't speak towards any other larger schemes that Locke may be putting forward Uh, So Kate finds the breaker. She
0: puts the power back on. We're down to four minutes and like no time at all. Like Cy literally just like flips
1: a switch and the computer's back. (laughs) love this guy. He's very very impressive. Very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. Though I wonder if on his, under his breath, he's like, oh no, this computer's too old.
0: It's too old. Yeah. Uh, The last time I saw a computer that was going to save the world. Uh, So there's the there's the code to enter into the computer. Uh, and Locke starts like saying it out loud, and Hurley catches on to it really quick. He's like, yo, 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 don't do it.
1: Well, don't push the thing. Hurley, you couldn't stop Locke when he was holding a lit fuse with the numbers. Why do you think you're going to be able to take advantage of this moment again? <laughs> Uh, well, then Locke says, uh, he's
0: counting out the numbers, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, and then he gets to 32, and I I love the way that he says it, too. Like, almost he knows it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, and Hurley's like, okay, yeah, just put that in. That's fine.
1: Hurley would Uh, let the world get destroyed if it meant
0: these numbers would not be put into the system. Yeah, I gotta be honest, Mike. Thinking about that, that's a... Very bad look for Hurley. <laughs> like, that was almost the most dangerous thing that anybody has done on the show up to this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, they don't exactly know what's going to happen. To Jack's point, could be a whole psychological experiment. But yeah, Hurley just may have unintentionally caused at least their immediate destruction, if not the destruction of everyone around them, by being like, "Yeah, I'll let this wrong number slide." Because you know what? At least we're not putting those cursed numbers in the system. That would be really bad. Uh but good news for
0: everybody except for Hurley, although even for Hurley, uh because in spite uh, of Hurley. <laughs> in spite of Hurley, uh Jack is back from his conversation with Desmond, uh, who has uh given him the code, the the right code four eight fifteen sixteen twenty three forty two, and he said it really fast and he started to repeat it, but Jack cut him off before he could finish it, which means Desmond only gave him forty two the one time. So, again, uh, there's that, uh, that Jack Shepard memory uh, live and in action.
1: Mm,
2: uh,
0: unless he's just a really big Douglas Adams fan and just has 42 could, on the brain. Could be possible. It's not impossible. Uh, but he had a lot on his mind at that time. So I, I'm, I'm impressed personally. Uh, but he's going to come back with the right number, and then a very tense conversation is going to go down between Jack and Locke to close out the episode.
3: It's not 32. It's 42. He just told me, Desmond. Last number's 42. You sure?
2: Yeah, I'm sure.
3: do it jack what you have to do it you do it yourself
2: john no you saw the film jack this is a this is a two-person
3: job at least this argument is irrelevant say don't jack don't it's not real look you want to push the button You do it yourself. If it's not real, then what are you doing here, Jack? Why did you come back? Why do you find it so hard to believe? Why do you find it so easy? It's never been easy.
2: Maybe you should just do it.
1: begins again josh
0: i'll take the first shift oh man we've got no we're, we're gonna be is anyone ever gonna relieve us from down the hatch or are we just gonna have to keep pushing the button all the way down the end of the line
1: i don't know about you i haven't relieved myself for about <laughs> 30 episodes at this point <laughs> that sounds painful talking about yellow light uh, oh my god <laughs> uh, so i mean yeah. this is such an interesting stand-up on paper you'd be like yeah it's a little petty for lock to Force Jack to be the one to press the button when uh, you know, the world might be on the brink of certain doom. But at the same time, this action speaks so, so loudly. I think my favorite, there's so many good parts about this. First off, Terry Quinn's performance is super interesting. I think we talked a lot in season one about this idea of like not con artist lock, but definitely deceptive lock, the way he would say certain things or behave a certain way in front of people. We saw that with Shannon. For instance, in uh, sort of getting her off of Boone's back, or Boone off of her back so that he can focus on his mission. But maybe he's conning me, but Josh, I found him legitimately emotional uh, in this scene. when he's, When he has the, I can't do this alone, I don't want to, it's a leap of faith, Jack. It feels like he's reaching out to somebody for the first time maybe ever at least substantially, on the island in this series. And it's a a cry for help, and his voice is wavering. You can see that look in his eyes. It's different than the confident John Locke that we're used to. But I think my favorite part is the, why do you find it so hard to believe? Why do you find it so easy? It's never been easy. Because I think Jack sort of has this stigma that, oh yeah, believing something, it's easy to do. You just sort of let go of all your realities and just throw yourself you know, at the knees of whatever you believe in. But I think what Locke is sort of telling him is, no, 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 we're two sides of the same coin here. And it takes so much will and so much power to invest your faith into something or someone. And that takes more effort than you might realize. And so I think that's that's a moment for Jack as well to sort of awaken to how tough it's been for Locke and how... Even though you might think that he's on the other side as you, it, it was not an easy path to get there. It, it's, it's a cool sort of moment where they're looking across the bow, both symbolically and literally, at each other.
0: No, I I, I love this uh, in so far as how it sets up the you know the end game of Lost. Frankly, of um, you know Locke pushing Jack to take that jump. Um, at least right now, Jack has the opportunity to do that jump with Locke. You know, eventually he's gonna he's gonna have to do it alone to some degree. Um, but you know, alone is sort of a flexible concept in the in the world of Lost. So, uh, I love this setup to it. I think it's great. Um, I think it really depends on how much you react uh, or or how you react, frankly, uh, to both Jack and Locke as characters. Um, but as somebody who who really appreciates the complexity of of both of them and and loves the performances, um, I think that this a, a a really great ending uh to to not just the episode but to this you know three episode arc mm. uh, of going down the hatch and and finding out um what's down there and what we're gonna have to do now that we're down there and to take Jack from where he and Locke were at the start of Man of Science, Man of Faith and to see them however reluctantly working together here at the end of orientation uh it's powerful stuff i think i think I think it's a, a really uh moving um and and uh and and successful arc for me. Um and obviously it's gonna have a lot of ups and downs in the episodes ahead. But I, I think as far as like a three episode act, um obviously we got some issues with the one in the middle, but I, I think that the the movement, uh this mo- this story movement in Lost um is is one that's really, really notable to me and has a has a really great ending and does a, a really great job of not just setting up the end game, but more more um more immediately Everything that we're going to get into with season two and the hatch being such a central part of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to look at how much the world of Lost has changed over the course of these three episodes. You know, I don't think anyone would say, yeah, we're going to end episode three of season two with two guys, two of our main characters, agreeing to let bygones be bygones and work together to push a button every 108 minutes in a relatively modern esque hatch on top of a desert island to quote unquote save the world. I mean, It really is a culmination of the giant swing that the show took in season two. And I think from an introductory perspective on the whole, I think it's very well done. It's just it's so interesting watching these guys sort of go off and, you know, very uh, matter of fact, I'll take the first shift. But speaking of shifts, the world of Lost has shifted so much, much like the island will many, many times. It's shifted so much in the past few episodes. And this is the new normal for Lost. Um, all right, let's.
0: Uh, we'll keep talking about orientation in a bit. Let's let's segue into the others section and get through some listener feedback. And let's begin as we always do by looking back towards last week first. And Mike, you and I were were pretty low on a drift, and and at the time we noted. Um, that we were harder on it than than the audience really uh that it was uh, we we I think I had 2.1 you had 1.8 for the score ultimately on the on the 4.2 section uh, while the listener average was a 2.8 um, with some ratings as high as a four and a 3.9 and those ratings came from uh from the great Riley Wigmore big fan of the last name of course uh <laughs> R- Riley had uh, had identified uh that Riley was Riley and Riley's girlfriend were responsible for uh, the, the the 3.9 and the 4.0 and they, they identified that on Twitter. Um, Riley had written a defense of a drift that we did not read Last week, um, some of the points that Riley says in favor of Adrift, uh, one is that we finally get some resolution and payoff to the raft cliffhanger. The raft sections are tension filled and have great character work. The episode shows Michael being unable to accept help and attempt to somehow find Walt all on his own. Meanwhile, Sawyer's heroic side is coming out. However, when Michael treats him like early season one Sawyer, he reverts back to protect himself. The flashbacks are beautifully acted, and the moment of Michael saying goodbye to Walt is is incredible acting and heartbreaking, plus there's more Hatch. Um, So that was Riley's initial take, and then Riley uh, also wrote back in with the following. Um, So after I exposed my girlfriend, this is Riley talking, and I, as the 3.9 and 4.0, I decided I might as well send in my final thoughts on Adrift. I mainly think I really enjoyed this episode because I binged the show as opposed to watching it live when Mm. it came out. To me, given the nature of episodes one to three taking place around the same time, my brain kind of grouped them together as a three-parter, much like the season one finale was a three-parter. So I viewed season two's opening as a three-parter. As someone who watched it in that lens, I think it works much better in that binge format, viewing it as part of a whole honestly, these opening three episodes kind of all mixed together in my head as one larger opening act. It's why I wasn't as high on Man of Science, Man of Faith until your podcast helped clarify what exactly was in that episode, and how so many of my favorite parts were in that opening episode. It's earned its 4.2, however, I believe when viewed as the middle act of a three-part story. Uh, Adrift keeps you going into part three, keeps you engaged in a two- or three-hour binge with Sawyer's quippy remarks, the expanded on stuff down in a hatch, and the final, final moment reveal of the other, so i stand by my four i hope this explains my rationale and my girlfriend's um riley i i hear all of that and i i agree having uh rewatched adrift now both in binge mode recently as well as in week by week uh that it definitely plays much better in in a binge because you're able to just kind of move through it um my critiques still stand but i know that riley is not alone in being uh an adrift defender
1: yeah and to that point I would say to the hatchlings out there, uh, do not be afraid to, you know, write in with their own thoughts. Josh and I are just two loud voices talking in front of microphones, but we're Lost fans at the end of the day. One beautiful thing about the show is people have different characters, episodes, storylines that they associate with, some more than others. So, I mean, if you have a defense or if you have an attack on a particular storyline or person or comment that we made, like... Let us know. This is what the feedback section's for. I love hearing from Riley. To Josh's point, I might not agree with every point that Riley has made, uh, but I'm very happy to have experienced this opinion because it's another way to look at the episode.
0: I completely agree with everything that Mike just said, except for one piece, which was the part about uh, Don't Be Afraid. You should be very afraid to challenge us here on Down the Hatch. Uh, no, you shouldn't. Uh, uh, one more defense of Adrift. This was from uh, Craig Falkenham, the prolific Craig Falkenham on Twitter, uh, who wrote it and said, As much flack as a drift gets for some of the bad CGI used, the way they de-aged Malcolm David Kelly for
1: that final flashback was great. You couldn't tell it was him in a motion capture suit at all. Mm, fun fact: I believe that was Terry O'Quinn in the mocap suit, <laughs> trying him out before <laughs> *Why the Last Man*.
0: Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, here's another piece on uh, *Adrift*. This is from Joanne, the Pistons fan. We put out the call, Mike, uh, for any uh, anyone with a legal perspective on the custody battle uh, to weigh in, and Joanne has taken. That call and ran with it. So this is from Joanne. I'm an attorney and have some familiarity with adoption and family law. For prospective parents to be able to adopt, the legal parental rights of the biological parents must be terminated either voluntarily or by the state. In order for terrible Brian to adopt (laughs) Walt, Michael would either have to relinquish his parental rights or be found unfit to such a degree that the state would terminate his rights. Legally speaking, Susan made a solid case as to why she should have primary custody of Walt. But the reason I truly despise her is that she thinks poverty makes Michael an unfit parent. Courts are perfectly happy to let parents come to their own custody arrangements regarding parenting time. There was no reason Michael couldn't have had visitation and still been a part of Walt's life, even from overseas. Eventually, when he got back on his feet, joint custody could have been possible. Susan cut a loving father out of her son's life because he was poor. The legal basis of custody proceedings is the best interest of the child. Susan knows she cannot legally win on this point, and she uses Michael's poverty to manipulate him into caving. Hope this was useful. Susan is the worst, but you two are the best. Thank you very much, Joanne. Uh, Joanne ends with, everybody with me drinks on me. Uh, Um, I love it. Takes on new meaning in light (laughs) of the DJ Dom exposé podcast
1: so this is awesome first joanne you're gonna have to clarify which terrible brian because as we know all brian's are terrible on down the hatch including wayward uh interns at saint sebastian yeah so she brings up an interesting point that i don't think we've touched on and maybe that's something that i'm not a huge fan of the michael storyline as well with all this custody stuff is that we are told so much about michael's poverty without ever being shown it whatsoever and i think in retrospect i maybe this would have meant more michael flashbacks but i would have liked to spend a little bit more time with the life that michael was leading you know without susan and walt to see exactly quote-unquote how much of a hot mess he was but it is a good point that susan was really drilling into the the money angle of it even if that's not really a leg to stand on legally
0: all right, let's get into orientation, uh proper some behind the scenes that the great Ben behind the curtain has cobbled together. Uh apparently, this is something I didn't know that the Swan orientation film was shot on the set of the authorized personnel only set from Alias in Burbank. Uh APO is the is the the acronym for authorized personnel only. Uh very important force in the later stages of Alias as redacted of DJ Dom Fame, uh would certainly be able to attest uh francois Xiao, who played pierre chang didn't get to film at all in hawaii during any of his season two appearances that's a bummer right like, yeah. i feel like one of the perks of being able to work as an actor on lost would be to go to hawaii
1: i guess maybe that's why he's like look you, obviously eventually if you're, you're gonna, gonna if you're gonna have me keep making movies bring me out to yeah. hawaii until we'll actually yeah, see you know go. the real mccoy
0: uh let's talk about uh the the henry ian cusick ...of it all, um, from the official Lost podcast with Damon Carlton and Henry Ian Cusick. Uh, This is where this information comes from. When Cusick was hired, he was only hired through orientation. And his understanding was that he wasn't going to be brought back to the show. Mike, you mentioned this before. Um, However, not long after the show started airing, he began hearing he might return... ...and was officially asked to come back in December of 2005... ...after only nine episodes of season two had aired. Uh, This was due to a strong public response to the character... Damon and Carlton said they had already determined that there would be a failsafe that would end the hatch plot, but Desmond's role in it was determined after they decided to bring him back. Um, so that makes some sense, Mike, of why Desmond doesn't know to use the failsafe uh in terms of like uh, you know, Darlton did not yet know that Desmond was going to be an important character moving forward. So logically that tracks, but Canon is canon, right? So you gotta like blame it on Desmond being uh like a a paranoid, drunk person, mm. uh, an anxious person who's just running away for fear of his own life and not thinking about the failsafe key that he's going to use later on.
1: Yeah, a little too much McCutcheon there. So, I, not enough. I'd be interested to see what would Live Together, Die Alone have looked like without Desmond. I'm sure, I don't know, I feel like the skeletons would have been relatively there. I mean, I don't know how you get the Elizabeth involved uh, with sailing around the island, but I'm sure if the failsafe key is going to be involved, maybe Locke. And echo find it and are able to you know make a decision as to what to do with it but it'd be it'd be an interesting way to look at the finale once we get to it of how desmond's removal would affect everything
0: yeah i think just uh you know the idea of (laughs) they didn't know that desmond was going to come back like so much of the final movements of lost depend on desmond and his his you know his time travel-ish abilities um so I'm glad that the that the the crowd went wild for Desmond. Uh, you know, I think it's a, ultimately a, a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, and also, I mean, I guess we should say Desmond a few more times because we're not going to get to talk about him again for several weeks now.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. Again, you, people wonder, like, why do they have him disappear only for him to come back near the end of the season? And now we sort of have our meta, meta reasoning behind it is because he wasn't supposed to come back. I think if yeah. Desmond was going to be a plan to be involved in this season at the time he wouldn't have disappeared i don't think he would have run away or if he did return it would have been much earlier in the season than in live together die alone
0: but i think like they make the point of um releasing him into the wild you know quite literally rather than killing him off um because like that way desmond is out there in the world of lost and uh you know he could be a rousseau type of figure so i think that like they're leaving that possibility open for themselves but i can't imagine at that time they're writing that three episode arc especially based on this um, that they knew just how critical Desmond would be overall. I think that that was a thing that probably developed from, wow, we're really responding to what Henry and Cusick is putting down, and so is the rest of the crowd. All so right. Let's, let's keep, keep moving in.
1: My alternate timeline is if Desmond is not as popular of a character, uh, that's who Anna Lucia shoots in the jungle. Oh, wow. Wow. That'd be an interesting moment, Shan- right? It, sh- it wouldn't survives. be obviously as bad, as you know momentous as Shannon dying – but I think it would be interesting if Anna Lucia, like guns down this guy in a jumpsuit in the middle of the jungle, and it brings up all these questions as to like where did he come from, and then the paranoia of these two groups connecting just increases tenfold. It
0: totally changes the Anna Lucia dynamic though, because uh, the whole thing is that like she kills, believe it or not, a beloved member of the of the of the crash crew of of a uh, of, of eight fifteen, yeah. Yeah, so you know, I think that that's pretty important. All right, let's keep going. Um, this is uh, more uh, feedback about orientation specifically from the great Ariel Kalish Glassman, uh, who writes in and says, Does Locke ever tell Jack that he had a spinal injury and was in a wheelchair before getting to the island? I don't think so. I don't think Jack ever finds this out while on the island with Locke. Why wouldn't Locke share that? If in another timeline, as if we needed one... Uh Locke does tell Jack early after the plane crash that he wasn't able to walk before the island. How do you think that plays out? What might have been different between them in this scenario? Um one way that I think that may play out differently, Mike, is once uh Jack discovers that they've got uh access to medical equipment. Um Jack probably is like, "All right, Locke, let me uh mm-hmm. let me scan your back. Let me see, let me see what you got. Let me see what you're working with." Um, I think it could have been pretty compelling, especially as a a spinal surgeon. I think that this could have been something that could have bonded these two.
1: Yeah, and looking back, I'm actually very intrigued as to, I think the last card that Locke could have had over Jack in that climactic end to the episode is him saying, you know, miracles can happen. This is what happened to me. We saw him utilize that in Deus Ex Machina, right? Where Boone was at uh, his most skeptical with Locke's cause. He reveals that this is what the island did to him to get Boone back on his side, I could imagine maybe in a more desperate moment where Jack still says, no, I'm not going to push the button. Locke decides to finally come out with it, though. He also, you know, would be a bit of a, a risky maneuver concerning that he would also be revealing that information to Saeed, Kate and Hurley as well. And again, it's not the kid is a fugitive news that puts everyone in danger, but it might fundamentally change the way these characters look at him.
0: Eric Divestein writes in, why did Locke insist on Jack helping him to push the button? Personally, Said would be my first choice. Uh, Eric, yeah, Said is a great first choice um, if you're a rational person. But Locke is not always a rational person. And very emotionally, I think he wants it to be Jack. He feels like, if I can convert Jack, if I can win over his heart and mind and i can win over all the other hearts of mine.
1: and i think there's something about like the leader of the group being part of this as well it's one exactly. of those things of like exactly. well he's doing it so we should be doing it and also you can imagine that jock says jock that Locke says oh it's no coincidence that the two of us were watching the movie that was talking about partners doing it together
0: right right true 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 um that all makes sense. Dave Baker writes in, was Jack's decision to push the execute button based more on his evolution towards a full-fledged man of faith or his desire to get Locke to shut up? All
1: right, already.
0: <laughs> Just, enough.
1: God. I'll push
0: the damn button, but uh, only this once. Only the one time. Um, Ben Martell with a question for us. Uh, We never saw the swan code entered wrong. What are your theories about what would have happened if Locke pushed execute before Jack corrected him here? So yeah, so what about the alternate reality, Mike, where Locke hits 32 and then hits execute?
1: Oh, very simple. Dennis Nedry shows up on the computer screen and goes, ah, 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 Uh, uh, ah, didn't say the magic
0: word. Uh, That's good. I like it. Uh, Tom Palmer writes in, why did Dharma make it so hard to push the button? Why
1: not just have a button? Why does it need the code? Well, I guess my I mean, I'm assuming that it's because it requires, you know, maybe it's like a, it's a two step verification, right? Or Two step authentication is the, the term that they use for it of like, we want to make sure that <laughs> right. this is a person. So maybe, you know, we talked about how the numbers happen to be also the serial number on the hatch. Maybe that was what it was supposed to be. It was like, hey, just so you know, you're on the up and up, you have to enter these numbers in so that we know it's its like the computer version of the uh, what it's one snowman say to the other in that regard. yes. It's an extra step, but I guess with the Paranoid Dharma Initiative at that point, they just wanted to confirm that the right people were entering the numbers and saving the world.
0: Some more thoughts about Jack. This is coming from Brian Elwood. This Brian does not suck. Uh, Brian Elwood writes in and says, uh, This may just be my early series anti-Jack bias speaking, but I really thought he reached a low point in this episode. He bandits lock in the hatch with a clock that is ticking down to an uncertain fate. This good luck with that moment. It's just horrible on a basic human level. Um, Jordan from Wisconsin also weighs in on the Jack of it all and says, it's really hard for me to understand why Jack is so skeptical of Locke and what Locke wants to do in this episode. Jack has seen some crazy things on the island, including the smoke monster. Note that Jack ultimately comes back to give Locke the code, but his animosity toward Locke along the way seems misplaced. Does it all stem back to Locke lying about Boone? That's an angle that we have not really talked about here, Mike. Um, How much of this is really personal? uh that in Jack's eyes he still looks at Locke as if not quite a murderer then at least the reason why Boone is dead
1: well not only that let's look in Exodus when Locke is doing these things of like it's great i should have been pulled down the hole and be killed by the monster the island is doing this for us jack and jack tells Kate we're going to have a bit of a lock problem not only that the most recent thing that Locke did was directly disobey Jack's orders and go back into the hatch so Suffice it to say, Locke has not done great stuff for Jack lately, so while it is a bit OTT the way he sort of acts towards Locke, I could see, again, using the image of him being at the end of his rope, just him being very over Locke at this point with all the stuff he's been able to do and the fact that Jack just does not seem to see where he's coming from
0: uh a couple quick more uh, a couple more quick ones before we get into the 23 points and the 4.2 stars uh daniel brennan has a question about helen uh daniel writes was providing an ultimatum the best way that helen could have helped john um it seems like it works for a while at least until cooper shows back up right i mean it's not really his fault that Cooper is back in the mix and Cooper's so seductive. Uh for a long time at least, Helen's ultimatum seems to work.
1: I fundamentally think so. And I, I mean it is it's tough love, but I think sometimes with certain people, I mean I'll, I'll I know that uh addicted is a very weighty term, but I think that at this point John Locke's addicted to Anthony Cooper. Like I think he's very addicted to this idea of getting that closure in his life, even though it's never going to come. And I think sometimes when when you're dealing with the process of addiction, sometimes ultimatums have to be forced. You know, addiction is all about this element of choice or lack thereof. And Helen presents him with the ultimate choice. Uh he's not able to cheaty around and just, you know, stand with his stomach upset, not able to decide on anything. Right. There there's no gray here. She's presenting it starkly as black or white. And I think that makes that opens Locke's worldview up a bit so that he can look past. the the forest for the trees, as it were. Like you said, it's not going to work forever, but I think this was the right thing for her to do, to get him to snap out of it in that moment.
0: Um, Benji Holder says, I need a gif of Saeed saying, this argument is irrelevant, as Locke and Jack are fighting about pushing the button. Uh, Benji, I also need that. Anyone who's in the the down-the-hatch crowd, hatchlings, gif makers, uh, please get to that. I would like to have that as well. It's very, very fun. Uh, servo reports three dudes in orientation, which brings us to a total of 74. Uh, and how about some music analysis? Mike, Jim Fells, back at it again.
1: Yeah, so definitely significantly shorter video than the megalith that was adrift. But some fun stuff. We talked about before the Dharma orientation motifs, even though they're a little less warbly in future instances, of course. We're introducing a hatch motif, and we're sort of going to get a Jack versus Locke motif. It's only going to play about four times over the course of the series. There's also a really fun callback to a motif from the pilot, which we talked about this at the very beginning of the podcast. I think they're almost not mirrors of each other, but at least reminisce each other uh, in the way that they sort of introduce this new world to our characters and to the audience in a certain way um yeah that's
0: awesome uh the music of this episode i mean that that uh orientation video music is just it's just so like it's burned it's seared into my brain uh some of my favorite music in the whole series um all right let's get into the mvp lvp stuff let's get into 23 points um mike i believe i am giving out three mvps and you're giving out two this week,
1: Mm -hmm, and then i'm doing Uh, three lvps and you're doing two
0: so i suppose i'll start um here he is, doing incredible things. The The reigning MVP of Season 1 going into Season 2, uh, although he's uh, appearing on the board for the first time right now, Saeed Jirah. He fixes the computer, and he does it on really short notice. Don't they show up at like 24 minutes or something like that, and he's, he's like able to get everything done. Very calmly, very rationally, very cool, calm, and collective. Uh, Saeed Jirah with MVP point number one is a very easy choice for
1: me. Yeah, I mean... If Saeed does not rebuild this computer, say what you want to about who pushes the button or who enters what number, this hatch implodes. And so I think what Saeed was able to do was nothing short of MVP worthy. I'm going to throw him another point as well.
0: All right, two MVP points for Saeed. Uh, And keep the train running uh, for our our MVP go-getters, our go-to MVPs. Kate Austin will score one from me uh, for all the reasons I've outlined. She gets out of the vent. She managed to sneak a shotgun out of the armory. She pulls the shotgun on Desmond. Yeah, Desmond shoots the gun, but that's more on Desmond than Kate. She keeps the gun on him, even though Locke is like, put the gun off, take the gun off. She's like, no, I got this. No one told me what to do. And then when she realizes he's probably less of a threat than uh, the need to go and get Saeed, she she knows that she's the fastest runner. She sprints off to Saeed, gets Saeed back in record time, and she finds the breaker. Uh Kate Austin saving the day in this episode.
1: Do you think, I guess Kate is the MVP of the trilogy then, considering that I believe she got a point in each episode we've covered so far in season two. Kate's the MVP of Lost. Secret, secret stuff. And look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie, but the The number, the numbers are also
0: bad. The numbers are also bad. Um, all right, so that's my second one. Who do you got for MVP 2?
1: I'm going to give one to Helen here. There's only a few opportunities sure. we can give her one, but I th- I love what Katie Seagal did. I think she played a monumental effect in Locke's life, as I talked about beforehand. And I think what Chilton Lee does for him, at least in this moment, is good and healthy for their relationship.
0: Uh, I like that, and I love Katie Seagal, so I'm happy to see her uh, in the positives. Um, I got to give my third and final MVP point, to someone who just knows his way around uh an efficient beatdown. That's Mr. Echo <laughs> with his with his real first uh appearance on Lost, even if that was last week, he really shows up with authority here with the with the whoop stick that he's able to to subdue everybody with. Um, it is just—it's an amazing moment. It's just so fun. It's a great introduction to the character. I love Triple A Adwalia Akabaje. Great actor. Amazing to have him on the show. Uh, I've been so excited to get Mister Echo in the in the Lost World because it's it's really a, a, a much shorter experience with Mister Echo than perhaps we remember. So I'm going to savor every moment that we've got. So Echo on the on the board officially with one point.
1: He lives a great first impression, much like he probably left an impression on Sawyer's face with that stick.
0: Yes absolutely all right let's move into lvps mike you've got the first
1: anthony cooper come on down yeah just just double up
0: on on anthony cooper because i'm gonna do the same yeah
1: i mean look he only makes one appearance in this scene but him essentially telling Locke, nobody loves you go away is just ultimately cruel He's a
0: very easy uh, automatic LVP when Anthony Cooper shows up. Yep. You know, he's just an awful human being who's done awful things. And every time you see him, he's being an awful guy. So I agree, I'm going to give uh, an LVP to Anthony Cooper. So that's uh, minus two on Anthony Cooper here heading into season two. Um, all right, you've got two more. Uh, what's the first one you're going to give?
1: Well, it was a nice bump for Sawyer while it lasted. He got conned. Not only did he get conned, he, he like was brandishing a weapon and lost his howdy duty along the way. So, it's <laughs> yeah. not, not a great <laughs> look for Sawyer. I know that his shoulder's killing him. I know that he is probably ragged as all hell from barely surviving after the raft exploding, but just it was, he had some bad judgment this week. So, I'm going to have to throw an LVP point his way. Yeah,
0: this might be controversial, but in the spirit of bad judgment. And I don't know what kind of curse I'm bringing on myself by giving this person an LVP point.
1: Hurley! Wow! That might be the first LVP point we've ever given to Hurley. I
0: I can't imagine Hurley's going to get a bunch. I think that they're going to be very few and far between, but I think Hurley kind of earned an LVP this week. He was going to let them put in the (laughs) wrong number, and who knows what was going to happen? Yeah. He could have gotten everybody killed. Or Dennis
1: Nedry could have popped out
0: yeah and that would have been almost worse
1: (laughs) hurley we've got hurley here
0: you know so uh i think hurley getting an lvp maybe controversial but i feel like not fully unearned i was thinking about dumping another one on sawyer uh but uh i don't think that i can miss the opportunity here and there was also arguments to take one away from jack and Locke for me um but ultimately they work together in the end and that's progress so i think i'm it to hurley oh don't get mad at me don't at me don't at me i love hurley i love hurley just maybe not this week
1: well i mean look let me stay on the care of the train of beloved characters because you said this before on the podcast i think i can cement this that this might be the worst desmond look uh, that he's he's going to have throughout his time on Lost. He shot the computer and then ran away after trying it once uh, without with giving minimal instructions as to what to do. I'm grateful that he comes back for a number of reasons, one of them being this would not want to be the last impression that I have left of this character, but I got to call him like I see him, and I think that Desmond does not have a great episode here.
0: Yeah, I'm not mad at that. Um, I think that makes sense to me. shoots the computer. He causes the whole problem. Uh... And then he dines and dashes.
1: Yeah, barely dines. He tries to grab some cans for the road before they come spilling
0: out of the jungle. All right, so Desmond had a point before this episode, right? I think he had one. He had one Um, from episode one, yeah. And now he's at zero, so Desmond is 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 neutralized for the moment. Not going to get a chance to do anything with Desmond until the end of the season, at which point I'm I'm sure we're going to lavish him with praise, if not uh, all of our MV points. So don't be too sad about the lack of Desmond for now. Um, here are the season two rankings as they stand. Kate is the leader with three. Saeed. Right behind with two. Uh, So once again, it's it's Kate and Saeed. Always always lead in the pack here. Um, Then we got a bunch of people with the ones. Jack, Shannon, Sarah, Locke, and Echo. Uh, We've got uh, Hurley. With a negative one. Sawyer with a negative one. Law and Order with a negative one from last week. Mr. Rutherford for dying. Negative one. Susan had negative two. Uh, Anthony Cooper showing up with negative two. Uh, and Fiance Douche from last week. Uh, or from two weeks ago. Negative three. Uh, I,
1: I think it might take a while before somebody usurps Anson Mount as the worst character of Lost Season 2. Yeah, but in terms of the grand scheme of things,
0: Anthony Cooper is solidifying his place as the worst character on Lost Season He's jumping from a, a a series total of minus four to minus six. Uh, so he is uh, with the next person being uh, Susan. Uh, so Susan with uh, negative four. Uh, so uh, I think Cooper's gonna he's gonna get away with the LVP prize if nothing else.
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially because this will not be the last time we see him this season.
0: And in the in terms of the series totals, Kate is still in the lead with eleven points overall. Said with ten. Uh, So even though Saeed finished out in first place in in Season 1, Kate is still barely pulling ahead for the moment. 4.2 4.2 stars. Those are our 4.2 star episode rankings that Mike and I and the audience are coming up with. I give a score, Mike gives a score, the audience gives their score by writing into Down the Hatch push at recaps.com. From zero to 4.2 for any given episode, that audience score is averaged to a single data point. The three data points my score, Bloom's score, audience score, averaged together for the final uh, Down the Hatch score. This is a flexible document throughout season two for those season two episodes. If you want to be getting in your season one rankings, they haven't done it you can do that yeah, uh sure. just mail mail that in down the hatchet push or uh we're flexible um current reigning champion uh coming into this week was uh there's really only two contenders and it was a very Oh, i'm on easy. pins and needles as to which <laughs> episode we liked
1: above more than the other one
0: very easy for man of science man of faith over a drift but where does orientation fit into the trilogy hmm. is this gonna go man of science man of faith in the top or orientation uh um, man of science man of faith you and i both gave a 4.2 Looking in the rear view mirror, Mike, I feel like maybe 4.2 was a little bit too high for yeah, science, I'm feeling beta that beta as well. <laughs> well,
1: actually, maybe. no. I'll 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 elaborate, but you go.
0: Uh, I think like maybe just like a little too high, or maybe it really is the the mark of the fact that of these three, it's it's my it's definitely my favorite of the three. Agreed. Um so I I'm not gonna alter it. I'm gonna keep that at a four point two but my feeling is it's closer to where I have orientation ultimately, which is I'm just giving it a solid four. I'm gonna give orientation a straight four. Um, I think that the, the flashbacks are nice, and I'm, I'm glad to have Katie Sagal in here. Uh, but they feel a little slight. They feel a little slim. Um, once again, the episode does still feel like it's suffering from this like not quite a premiere uh, syndrome of like not quite a three part premiere syndrome that's going on with this first three episode arc. Uh, so I think that there's some things that hold it back. I don't. I don't love the laws stuff. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the prison stuff that we're getting in this episode. Even though you know people love the tailies, some people do anyway. Um, but I don't hate it. It's just enough to to knock it from being you know a perfect 4.2 for me. But it still has the Swan Station video. It's got the Swan orientation video. It's iconic in in so many ways uh, that I think giving orientation at least a flat four. I feel pretty comfortable with.
1: Yeah. So I was really looking do some introspection here, Josh, really looking at the episodes that I gave 4.2s and really thinking what makes a 4.2 for Mike Bloom. And I guess for me, it's sort of a mixture of, you know, some really iconic moments, not even just like great quality moments, but really seismic shifting. We'll remember loss for these moments, character work, great use of flashbacks, comedy, drama, world building, but, I guess the ultimate determinant for me that bumps things into a 4.2 is that it really makes me feel something. And orientation has a lot, but at least from my opinion, it didn't really make me feel something, especially compared to Walkabout and Deus Ex Machina, which the flashbacks alone are just so emotionally powerful. I feel like, unfortunately, orientation can't really live up to that reputation. There's still some good stuff in this episode, but nothing really made me feel the way that it made me feel about those 4.2 episodes so it's not going to hit the 4.2 but i'm gonna copy you here i'm gonna stick with a 4.0 like it's definitely up there there's a lot of really good stuff to talk about as we sort of parse through but not a huge amount to make it a perfect category you know
0: but it's it's a historic episode Absolutely. you know and, and- you know, poured over rightfully so so many times. We had to watch that again many, many, many times. Um, so Mike and I both with the four, and the audience average on this one is actually a little bit lower than than where we currently have it. It's at a 3.8. Uh, I see a flat four here in terms of I'm looking at the audience ratings, a three point nine, a four point one, three point eight, a three point six, uh as low as a three point two is the lowest that it goes, a few fours, a couple four point twos. Uh, but it seems like a lot of people are kind of, like, on that same page of, like, there's a very good episode of Lost. It's, uh, you know, undeniable that this is a very good episode of Lost. Is this an elite, perfect episode of Lost? Obviously, is anything a perfect episode of anything, Mike? Yes, Exodus. Uh, yes, 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 yes. And Walkabout, Pilot, and White Rabbit, and a bunch of other episodes. Um, but it's 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 very, very good. So I'm comfortable with the four. Uh, you're comfortable with the four. The audience is currently averaging at a 3.8, which gives it a 395 Total score at the moment, which means the current uh, ranking of season two is Man of Science, Man of Faith in first place. Orientation right behind it. Uh, Man of Science, Man of Faith with 4.07. Orientation with 3.95 And a drift. Bringing up the rear, 2.22. All right, Mike. So that, that that's it. That's orientation. That's, the, that's everything. Yeah, the trilogy is over. Trilogy is over. Next week, we are getting into Everybody Hates
1: Hugo. See, it's not just me. It's everybody. (gasps) Yeah, Josh, you really just paved the way for the the title to come in here. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I'm very excited to revisit it because, and maybe this links to my previous apathy towards Trisha Tanaka is dead. Outside of Numbers, in my first watching of Lost, I was never a huge Hurley flashback fan. Maybe it's because Numbers was such an interesting episode that I I never really felt like there was going to be a good follow-up. So I'll be interested to revisit this obviously hurley's gonna have his own little first taste of what it's like to be an island leader uh we just talked about dj dom josh next week we're getting dj qualls who i'm assuming is, no, is a right. close associate we're also gonna get katie from wet hot american summer that's as right. hurley's that's crush right. playing the role of coop so yeah there's gonna be some interesting i believe libby is making her debut next week as well uh i think that that's right i'm pretty sure that feels right to me yeah yeah, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting episode now that we have officially moved on from the world building Big of, episode. Of, of one through three. I think now we get to see what a typical, quote unquote, lost season two episode looks like next week.
0: All right. So we'll get into that episode uh, dropping in your feed February 21st. Get your feedback in by the morning of February 18th at the latest. Uh, and if you haven't had enough down the hatch yet. Uh, And you haven't listened to the DJ Dom expose party, highly encourage that you do it. Super fun. Got any questions? Any questions about that? You can send that our way for next week's uh, uh, live questions. Uh, It's
1: it's (laughs) indescribable.
0: Uh, It's indescribable for sure. Uh, Send that feedback to us down the Hatchet Push over your caps. Dot com. You can also tweet at us at Post your Recaps, at Round Howard, at a Mike Bloom type subscribe. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. You can find Down the Hatch wherever you get your podcasts. Post Your com slash Down the Hatch will take you to our Apple feed. Uh, Mike Bloom, you've got Star Trek Picard happening with Jessica Leese. Uh, what's up with you and Jess and Jean-Luc?
1: So we actually just beamed aboard Rob Sesternino, an other in the Star Trek franchise on poster recaps to talk about episode three, which uh was the own sort of its own sort of uh finality to a trilogy that opened up the season. I don't know if people really know this, but Rob is a huge Star Trek fan, particularly of the next generation variety. So it was a lot of fun to get his thoughts, his own roving questions about the season so far. We we touched upon a lot of fun stuff, and there's sure a lot to come as we finally get into space moving forward with Jess and I next week.
0: Awesome. Uh, Rob and myself and Akiva Winokur are also podcasting about Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, surprise, regular coverage of <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm has, has been happening here on Post Recaps, so if that sounds pretty, pretty good to you, check out what's going on all over Post Show Recaps. We will be back next week with more Down the Hatch. Until then, everybody, take care. Goodbye.
2: 4,